Hello and welcome to episode 26 of We Have Such Films to Show You, the horror movie podcast where we podcast about horror movies. You like that extemporaneous uh, little tagline there? Uh, I, I thought this was the horror podcast where we talked about flamethrowers. Well, this is a this is a very special episode of that where we talk more about flamethrowers than normal. Then I guess because uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about more things. Last last fortnight we talked about John Carpenter's nineteen. Uh, uh, did I say Carpenter? Car- John Carpenter's nineteen eighty two classic, The Thing. Uh, and this time we're going to talk about uh, films bookending that. Uh, by about 30 years on each side, the 1951... Yeah, 52 uh, and 2011. Yeah, that's yeah. almost exactly. Yeah, so uh, so we've got The Thing from Another World, uh, 50s sci-fi horror movie, and then we've got mm-hmm. The Thing, confusingly named prequel to The Thing, uh, yeah, in 2011, starring Ramona Flowers from uh, that uh, movie with that That's Michael who Sarah that guy. is! Oh, wait, is that who... That, that's who Mary Elizabeth Winston is? Yeah, yeah, she was... Ah, uh, yeah, the whole movie, I was trying to figure out where I saw her. Well, and I've, n- I've still never seen... Uh, we should say the name of that other movie, but I can't remember Scott it. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? Yeah, I want to say yeah. it's Scott Pilgrim vs. the yeah. World. We have a copy at our house. Yes, it's I've pretty ne- good. I, I, I've been meaning to see it, I just keep not getting around to it. Uh, but I oh, before we get any farther, um, I'd like to wish you a happy birthday on air. If well, you're not you. aware, it was Josh's birthday I was not was aware. yesterday. <laughs> not you. <laughs> It was was it yesterday or the day yeah, before? Yeah, yesterday. It was yesterday. Yeah, uh, Josh is over one hundred thousand years old now. Yep, and just recently thawed out from beneath the Antarctic ice where I escaped from my crash spaceship. Except and all to do I this never podcast. Escaped. Can you believe it? I'm people? actually. This is all something that I'm imagining in my dying throes as I lay dying on a cot in my spaceship under the Antarctic ice. <laughs> Oh, Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> Our podcast will never be the same. Uh, Did you see that comment that somebody posted on the uh, the Facebook account about the... Um, oh, yes, yes. I think that was, I think uh, it was uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Dionysus. Dionysus. How yeah. uh, we were uh, talking about Jacob's Ladder, and there's that early scene in the subway, and he's trying to cross uh, the subway because he's on the wrong platform, and he needs to get to the other side and and apparently we had said several times man he's really having trouble crossing over he just he just can't cross over and and uh, apparently occurred to neither of us as we said that repeatedly that that was yes kind of the whole theme of the film with him trying to uh, you know <laughs> accept death and you know cross over as it were so yeah good 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 catch there Ben uh, <laughs> <laughs> um all right, so do you want to tackle the thing from another world first? Let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, I, uh, well, I want to say because I think we both watched both uh, the '50s film and the the recent uh, prequel. Um, did you get around to reading the short story? I did not. I, I so I did what I usually did in the, in these kind of cases, and I read the comic book version. Ah, there you go. There you There's go. a comic book version of the short story, and I read over half of it. That's four pages. <laughs> Christ. Yeah, n- n- let let no one question your dedication to the craft. Uh, uh, the the, the story is interesting. Uh, it was written in 1938, which is actually a little bit earlier than I uh, suspected. But I started. I looked. I went back and checked the copyright date on it once I got to the part where they're talking about basically the impossibility of harnessing atomic energy, or not the impossibility, basically, but the unknownness. Like it was this great theoretical thing that obviously uh, seven years later became less unknown 
a couple times in Japan, and, and then everything changed in the way science fiction dealt with atomic energy as a subject. Uh, but yeah, this was before that, and so like there was the idea of harnessing radioactive power from radium was about as close as we got to it. Um, to make our clocks glow. Yeah. But, uh, but the story is interesting because it, it really uh, – Carpenter's film really is lifted right out of the framework of the story. I mean, they're not the same exactly, but you've got uh, the, many of the same key characters, you know, McCready and, and Blair and Copper and, and Sheriff Gary. Uh, and in the story, I would say the main thing is there's the, 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 the characters all seem to be a little bit more stoic in general and a little bit less functioning alcoholic sort of vibe that we get from the Carpenter film. Um, and it's all, it, it all feels very, very sort of manly, uh, and also very, uh, sort of actively intellectual, like, like in the, in the story, most of the discussions, most of the action happens as discussion and it's discussion about sort of the pros and cons and, and deductive possibilities of dealing with this life form first when it's frozen in a block of ice. And then once it's a active threat that seems to be, uh, doing terrible things, and so there's a lot of just like, you know, manful talking about uh, how do we deal with this and how do we devise a test? And they come to the conclusion that the thing must be psychic. So, you know, how do you devise a test that will work even when it knows that you're devising a test to out it and so on? And it, it, it's a good little read. I mean, it's, I, it, it felt I, I should reread it sometime because it felt a little bit like uh, sort of a just so Sherlock Holmes story where like that's clearly the answer because the author decided that that was the correct answer more than that I was completely right. convinced that that actually follows logically. But, but in any case, that's what I was trying to do was like deal with it as sort of like a, this is a logical problem dealing with a terrible threat from outer space. And the story seems to end on a hopeful, you know, wow, we managed to save the earth note. Um, and it's hard to know whether to read that as actually intended to be read straight faced as saying, wow, well, we, we managed to pull it off just barely, uh, or if we're supposed to be left thinking, yeah, but the guy saying that could very well have been absorbed by the alien uh, when we weren't looking and done that. And, you know, it's in the book, so, like, a gap is even harder to, you know, write off the possibility right. of conspicuous absence because, you know, book time is weird. Because uh, McCready, McCready goes off to torch the thing down in the snow at the very end of the story. Um and then comes back and they have their little discussion about, wow, okay, well, this thing was building an anti So he goes out there alone? Yeah. And, and like, okay. he's, 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 he's really, it's not even done up big. It's not, and then McCready wandered off into the distance, blah, blah, blah. It's just like mm-hmm. M- M- McCready follows it with a torch and he comes back and says, I torched the shit out of the thing, essentially. You know, like, there may not even be much of a sent, more than a sentence of break. But at the same time, he did wander off alone after the story had made a point of everybody trying to stick together just out of paranoia. So you could read it that way. You could look at it and say uh, that, you know, this was supposed to be read as maybe a little bit ambiguous and you're supposed to wonder if, you know, after all the creature did pull it off. Um, so it's interesting. It's, and and as, the, as the basis for the Carpenter film, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, John Carpenter obviously read the story, obviously got this story, um, did his own things with it. You know, yeah. the book mostly elided even physical descriptions of the thing. Uh, to the point where the, a lot of the practical shots in the movie, I felt like were John Carpenter saying, well, this is, this is what I imagine happened more than like adapting a strict description from the, the story or whatever. Uh, but, but the relationship there is really strong. It's, you know, John Carpenter obviously liked this story. obviously wanted to make a good movie about it. Um, so it's funny that 
Can we say the same for Howard Hawks? Yeah, Ho- Howard Hawks, 1951, 1952, whatever it was, the thing from another world, uh, um, much more yeah, contemporary the- to the story and just... Completely, uh, that there's there's no uh, yeah there's no there's no transformation aspect to. I mean, the monster does transform, but it's just from one monster to another, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and um, yeah, as far as I can tell, it's not psychic. It's just a big. It, I mean, it's 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 basically Frankenstein from outer space. Yeah, it, it's a total rubber you know man in a rubber suit yeah. with shitty stuff, and and none of the tone of the story. I mean, no. you have the idea. That they find a thing, you know, a, a crash ship in the ice that carries through, uh, a monster that survived frozen in a block of ice that that comes. And those through. scenes are all actually pretty good when they're just exploring out in the out in the uh, out in the cold. And uh, th- th- those scenes I thought weren't that bad. But then then again, it's kind of hard to fuck that kind of a scene up where it's just like, all right, now everybody go into a circle around the around the spaceship. All right, and yeah, uh, yeah I mean, we'll do all the dialogue and pose, so you don't have to say anything. <laughs> yep. And up to that point, it was fine because yeah, it was like you know, it looked like a fifties you know science fiction movie, but yeah. they hadn't they hadn't diverged profoundly from the story yet. But then after that, once that monster actually shows up, there's no paranoia, there's no confusion. It's just there's a monster and there's us, and we'd better deal with it. And we actually it, can deal it feels with it. A in a lot like a, um, yeah, it feels a lot like a Lost in Space episode where uh, what's his name Carrington is just Doctor Smith, like doing something that might fuck everything up, but it might not. But yes. you know, that's you know, he's doing his thing on there. Exactly. He that, even looks like Doctor Smith. I, I think that's what I was trying to. I was like, he reminded me of someone specifically, and I couldn't quite get. It. I never watched much Lost in Space, so it, it just wasn't as top of mind for me. But I think that's a really good comparison. It's that sort of like the the scientific villain. And that's that, that. I think is the thing that bothers me the most. Like you know, ab- about the film, aside from the fact that it just completely holds the original story in contempt in terms of what it keeps and what it leaves behind, is it becomes this really fiercely sort of uh, sort of reverse snobbish anti-intellectual thing. Where yeah. like anytime someone is interested in science, it's basically this Doctor Car- Carrington goon of a you know scientific villain. Who is you know screwing things up and not listening to the 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 manly hey speak English doc military dude and it's just the whole thing was like really this is this is what you got from John Campbell's story is that scientists sure are nerdy jerks that's <laughs> that that's your takeaway uh, and it's um there, there was also an implication. Uh, there's a, there's a quick line from uh, I, I think it's from uh, Scotty the, the the journalist where he sa- where he refers to him as that fella who was at bikini. Oh. Um, so yeah, there, there, there's an implication that he's that he's a, a, a nuclear scientist, and I'm wondering if because his accent that wasn't you know that that was that was some sort of accent that was like a 1950s movie accent where he's from somewhere and it sounded english but you know i i, I feel like the that you know there was at least a little bit of like the whole operation paperclip nazi scientist thing going on there where he's like the one conducting all of these like you know experiments that could doom everything and you know he's foreign and you know he doesn't really care about you know the, the the lives of his compatriots. I I I got a little bit of that vibe, even though that might be reading too much into it. But at the same time, I don't know how. Um, you know, nineteen fifty two. I I have no idea how those sort of things were going in nineteen fifty two. You know what? If, if that sort of character type was was in full bloom yet, or if we yeah. you know. Well, we're, we had to be creeping well into the Cold War by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I, I think. Like, I mean, they refer I mean, to, years to the, the Russians the as the Russians and not like the Soviets or the commies or something, which was – so it's still um, – what do you call it? It, it, it's still before like the Cold War is like the fucking Cold War, and it's you know uh, you know yeah. U.S. versus USSR. So, but I think things I, I I think things would have been sort of creeping up by then, at least in terms of the sort of new uh, sort of dynamic of a uh, of sort of nationalist antagonism between the U.S. and uh-huh. uh, Russian Europe. But whoa. Yeah, you know you how there? this movie. Yeah, no, I just googled something real quick, and you know how. Um, so this movie's from 52, right? And you know how the beginning of it takes place in Anchorage? Yeah. Alaska was in a state till 50, uh, till 1959. Oh. So technically, this movie takes place in, I'm not sure what it Territory. was before. It was, yeah. In the Alaskan territories and not the state of Alaska. Well, and that's, that's another interesting thing about this. Like, really, this, this between the, 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 the Carpenter film and the recent sequel and the story, this... The, this older film really is the odd man out in so many ways, uh, but not completely. It's the North Pole instead of the South Pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's 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 throw up to the North Pole uh, just because, I guess, yeah. just because. Uh, let's let, let let's throw away the paranoia. Let's throw away the shape shifting. Let's. We need a romantic subplot, though. Yeah, jeez, that was. No one's gonna. No one's gonna want to see this movie if we don't have some really awkward flirtation between uh, two characters that have you know not much to do with each other otherwise. Yep. Yeah, and that whole thing. I mean, it it, it almost felt like you know someone had a script for like a, a that specific B plot. Mm-hmm. You know that they were just like, well, okay, I've got this great pattern, this sort of back and forth between this this lady and this guy, and I just need a film to build it around. Uh, I know, let's adapt a short story about a shape changer, but get rid of the shape changing because we don't have the budget. It really does feel like there, there's a certain amount of energy to that dynamic between uh, Captain Henry and and what's her face, Nikki. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, Nikki. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that I can't even remember her name. That's my uh, wife's name, and I'm but she's uh, in the other room, being like, what? Huh? <laughs> what, 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 "What? I thought he was recording." Uh, yeah, it almost it almost feels like there's a like, like that pattern between them. Not to say it's great or anything, but it, it's got mm-hmm. a sort of energy and direction of someone who was really trying to write and direct, and, and those two are trying to execute this uh, yeah. sort of I- I- interrupty, aggressive interlocutor style. There, that like if there had been any of that in the actual story content of the film. It right. would have felt more like a film that someone actually cared about the story of. Because like, I really believe that the filmmakers were trying to figure out how to make that whole weird flirtation and ha-ha, now don't get mad and hit me, which that's another thing. Yeah, a lot that, of recurring is... sort of ha-ha-ha, I bet you want to you know, assault me uh, stuff as just you know, jolly jokes between her to him about that time before when he got drunk and apparently handsy and ho 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 the whole thing is really weird in that respect yeah they're they're dynamic i mean like if you it it's just like certain things that the that you know when you when you watch them take place in a movie and you can almost exactly figure out the type of guy that wrote this scene (laughs) um where you know she just keeps like she just keeps, you know, sort of uh, oscillating between it's like, hey, don't punch me in the face and, you know, like openly flirting with him in a way that I think, you know, I, I, I think her character is supposed to be sort of like Hardy. You know, she's up at the North Pole. She's, you know, she's not she's not a wilter. Um, 
and, uh, and and yeah, so like that that interplay between them instead of coming off like that, it just comes off as weird. Yeah, like they've got and, a, an uncomfortable dynamic, but they're attracted yeah. to each other, so they're just gonna you know go ahead and try and find some way to navigate their way into this bad idea of a relationship. Also, it was during the scenes between them when they do like sort of the uh, you know like the protagonist close-ups of uh, Captain What's His Name that I'm pretty sure his belt is chafing his nipples. Those pants are high. <laughs> they were. Those were some grandpa pants are, right there. What are they doing up there? I think that's how. That's just how you show off for the ladies on the North Pole. The <laughs> magnetic field so much stronger, so you've got to hitch the belt buckle higher so that it doesn't fall down. You got to get it away from that magnetic. Uh, Red. At least it wasn't like the Thin Man movies where, you know, you got the pants up to the nipples and you've got like the tiny little tie that goes from like your <laughs> neck to the top of the pants. So it's, you know, it's about six inches long. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, there was, um, what do you call it? There's actually another scene and I really wish I, I, um, I wrote down who it was. I think it was between the captain and Scotty, and one of them just says something to the other one that I can't really figure out. And he says, he's like, I think you're right. And captain turns to him back and says, I think you are. And then they exchange, like, the most torrid fucking glance. <laughs> it gets, gets cold up there. Like, like, okay, here's a possibility. Let's, 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 let's put out a theory of a psychodynamic here that the film doesn't really address, but I think it leads there subtextually based on that and based on the weird dynamic between Captain Henry and... Uh, Nikki, uh, he's 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 just he's closeted up 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 the wazoo. He's he's gets drunk and handsy and and doesn't remember it or is in denial about remembering it with his previous interaction with her and reacts poorly to the ribbing from his uh, lieutenants or whatever uh, this time around who keep ribbing him about you know making a pass at her and blah 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 because he actually just it, it, it's 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 totally a weird grudging. Uh, beard thing where he doesn't actually have any interest in her uh but like he has to keep up appearances by pretending to be annoyed at the attention being given to his attraction to her when what he's really wanting to do is not even have to deal with that and scotty yes the the torridness there because that's actually that's where the connection is and scotty scotty's a reporter he knows what's up but he's not going to say anything uh all the, all the talk about not being able to put the story out throughout the film is actually sort of Scotty's metaphor for the struggle to deal with the need to uh, hide one's sexuality uh, in in an information uh, context. So there you go. There's 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 your there's your actual subtext and the now idea the of the thing from another world, the <laughs> thing from another world. Other, it's a movie about othering. It's about the idea that you know we can't relate to. Uh, uh, as Doctor Carrington brings up, you know, a couple times, the idea that there is a lack of the traditional sexual reproductive thing with these strange creatures. Uh, ah. you know, so, so, the, the, so it, it, it's it's like a great big psychic metaphor for that sexual repression. Uh, I got you. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> Oh man! Um, this other than movie. that, nothing. <laughs> you know, there's the, there's there's little. This is what this. we have to do to make this movie interesting for everybody listening. Just just speculate out a glance into you know some subtext because nothing happens in this movie. Like, I mean, a couple of things happen, but 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 they're not exciting, and and there's no acting. That this this is one of those movies from the fifties that doesn't have acting in it, and the whole thing, <laughs> save for like the interaction between Captain uh, Hendry and Nikki, 
it just sounds like a table read. Yeah. Well, now, um, now you say your line, Bob. No, no, you say your line, Jim. All yeah, right, the movie opens up with a poker game, and you know maybe I'm I, I'm too used to just like all of these you know like high stakes, high tension poker games and movies now. But it is the least exciting poker game ever. They're just narrating what's happening. It's like, well, now I got these cards. Now you have those cards. Okay, I win next hand. Oh, look at these cards I have. All right, and it just keeps going like that. And then they just start talking about getting laid, and that's somehow makes the scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't have a problem with the uh, low stakes poker game because I feel like one thing I could buy there is they're like, uh, you know, what? we're sitting around in the fucking cold. Let's just play cards and keep ourselves distracted, not because we're actually poker enthusiasts or anything. So whatever. But yeah, still the whole thing. It is weird how how chummy like 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 even just compared to look at what Carpenter did in bringing in the characters in mm-hmm. in the thing in the 1982 film. Uh, you've got that antagonistic situation going on between McCready, uh, between Kurt Russell and his chess computer, yeah. uh, which the same thing, you're bored, you're sitting around, you're playing a game, but the stakes are obviously literally lower for him because he's just playing a game against a computer. And yet even at that, it becomes more antagonistic with him murdering the computer after <laughs> it checkmates him versus, yeah, the extremely chummy, oh, well, it's... Let's play a little poker and have a little pattern, but the complete lack of any kind of tension or terror or character development in in the opening of the thing from another world. There's even there's even like a humorous cut in it. Yeah, where you know, like the the movie opens and it's supposed to be like you know it says Anchorage, Alaska, and it's like you know this horrible snow sl- swept landscape where it's night and you know the wind is whistling and you see somebody just like you know trying to you know in like their full snow gear like getting into the door and then it just cuts to the other side. You know, there's nice music playing and it's just basically it was an officers' club or something, right? Yep. Or it's just like uh like a like yeah. a military club. Yeah. So that was th- th- there's. You know the, the 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 movie never decides on its tone, which I think, you know, um, it happens with with like a lot of movies from around this time that aren't just straight dramas, where they're like, well, it's not just going to be a drama where people do stuff, so you know, let's just throw a bunch of shit together. So it, it's it's the, there's a lot of like weird tonal stuff to it. The tense, I mean, it mostly goes away by the third act. Where the third act is just them running around. Yep. Um, but before that, you know, like the the the, the flirtation and uh, like the romantic comedy style flirtation and like some humorous cuts and there's there there's jokes and stuff. Which you know that, that's not a problem. That there's jokes and flirtation in the movie. It's just that the tone's all over the place. Yeah. That I'm not. You know, the only thing. I know is that I'm watching, you know, a science fiction movie from the 50s. That's that's as far as the tone gets to, you know, cement something down. Yeah. And other than that, it's just, you know, is am I sweat? It's like, okay, wait, hang on. Do I stop being entertained? Stop being scared now? Was I already supposed to be? Yeah, it's yeah. And, and, and I feel like we, 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 it would be fair for, for us to acknowledge that this movie does have the huge disadvantage in our sort of treatment of these topics of being. A science fiction movie from the fifties, and almost right. everything we've like, like I don't think we've really talked about anything earlier. This is the oldest 70s. movie we've done, yeah, by by like a couple decades, yeah. and it's it's very much that weird sort of science fiction monster movie thing. It's not really a properly a horror film. Yeah. Um, it, it's you know it, it sort of falls into that territory, uh, mostly due to the story it's owed to uh, as much as anything. Because yeah, really, just as a big rubber monster movie. Uh, 
and, and it doesn't fit. So, so I mean, I think I think we're going to be very harsh to it, partly because like we just haven't gone into this with a specific interest in that period. And honestly, I. I as much as I've seen plenty of bits and pieces through MST through K and whatnot, I'm really not a student of this era, so it's 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 hard for me not to feel out of context on it. So, like, I'm sure there 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 are more interesting things to look at that we are not going to catch about it in terms of the sort of tradition of filmmaking at the time. But at the same time, it also is just a really shitty adaptation of a good story that does some really really boring, typical bullshit, lame-o things. So, I mean, I don't. Yeah. I feel like somewhere out there, someone is probably listening to this who actually is just a big fan of like fifties, you know, sci-fi horror type stuff. Who is probably really just a fucking point at us, basically. And I want to say, I uh, I feel you, and and I'm sure there are counterpoints to a lot of this stuff. But looking at this stuff through the lens we've come at this whole podcast uh, from, and really looking at more contemporary horror films and horror films from the last thirty years, really, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 out of its element for us. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's an extent to which we're really like, look, look at all those stupid old paintings. Look, look things don't get small, don't get bigger when they go into the distance. They get smaller. <laughs> Perspective, come on, it's just well, like, and, yeah, right, and there's, there's and there's things in this that like, you know, there's plenty of things about this movie that are cheap, uh, just because they didn't have a ton of money and and. A lot of the effects the, stuff that the, we love wasn't even just doable at the, the time, so that's the, fine. Yeah, the, the giant cube of ice in which the thing arrives into their uh, station is clearly just like a giant chunk of water styrofoam. Yeah, it doesn't remotely look like ice. But There's, it's fine. Um, you know, it's like it, yeah, it, it doesn't it, get in the way of the story you know or anything. The thing is, yeah, yeah, uh, it's the, not a. Uh, it's it's not like a it's, it's not like a cutout that's like you know tipping over at some points like it's an Ed Wood movie or something. Yeah. They, they had some money, and, and they spent it wisely on everything except um, the thing itself, which apparently was an issue because they were doing makeup on the guy uh, who was a pretty famous actor, James Arnest. He was in Gunsmoke. He was in a bunch of episodes of Gunsmoke, or possibly the whole thing of Gunsmoke. Um, and then they did him for this movie, and then they did a bunch of makeup, and they couldn't decide on it. And eventually, they just threw that, that Frankenstein-y mask on him as far as... I can tell. There's a lot of weird stuff about this movie in that there, there's like rumors and nobody's quite sure who directed it because the, the actual directorial credit is to Christian Nyby, but a bunch of people are just like, eh, it was mostly Howard Hawks. And then a bunch of people are like, no, Howard Hawks was, you know, around all the time, but it was Nyby's movie. So it, it goes yeah. back and forth like that. So Interesting. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's more interesting than uh, Dr. Henry's... Uh or yeah. Captain Henry, yeah. Um, oh, I, you, well, I, I mean, there, and and there's 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 things that they do smart in a low budget way, like when they go and find the UFO. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole bunch of it, it's really almost like a stage play, and it's kind of silly, like watching them not show something. It's a very tell not show sort of scene, but they're all standing around on the ice that the UFO is out, you know, buried under. They can tell because there's improbably a earth-like tail fin sticking out at one end. But but in any case, they're, they're yeah, standing what? around this ice, and they're all looking down through the ice at the stuff, and and they are doing it. We, the viewer, are not. We're looking at men standing around on opaque snow, essentially. And and it's fine, because, like, you know, they're not like, oh, my God, that thing that I can see right now makes all the difference. It's more like, no, okay, oh, there's a ship down here. There's a shape down here. Hey, guys, let's – I like – it's cheesy, but I like that they then say, okay, let's figure out the, the shape of this thing. And so everybody sort of keeps walking until they 
are looking down the ice and, and yeah. see the edge of the ship or whatever, and they end up in a circle. And, and in 1951, that might have been even, like, really great. I think it was fine in storytelling in mm-hmm. this film now, because, like, oh, so they're figuring out that it's a flying saucer. But in 51, maybe that was still enough of a novelty. It's like, oh, my God, it's a flying saucer as a real sort of revelatory moment. Um, but, 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 so that's, that's fine. I mean, that, that's a good use of not having the money to have a more convincing way to show the ship. So you just don't show it. And, and, and you know okay. what? Um, yeah. Uh, Carpenter, actually the, the, uh, the Norwegian film footage scenes in uh, Carpenter's movie are taken, are they're, they're basically reshot directly from the scenes of the guys discovering the, yeah, yeah. the craft in this one. Um, it's 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 almost like shot for shot. If if I would actually were to go back and look at it, it, yeah, it much, it, much it's larger scale. Shot shot. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Carpenter, because yeah. for these, yeah, for mm-hmm. the thing from another world, the ship was maybe fifty meters across max. Um, for the short and time that it continued was, to exist, yeah, where does that tail fin go? Yeah, I don't know. That it, was the thing. It's, it's a circular ship. The tail fin is sticking out and is not connected to any like you know circular sort of part of the ship. So it wouldn't be. It, 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 yeah, I have no idea where that tail would be. I think it may have just been fairly uncreative work. Uh, I mean, at that, uh, I, again, at that point, maybe sort of like the art of UFO speculative design was also just not super uh, well advanced yet. And stuff may have still been like, let's take a saucer and combine it with an airplane and boom, you got a UFO. Yeah, it's like, why would a, why would a symmetric ship need a rear stabilizer? There's yeah. no rear. It but, spins. But yeah, who knows? Uh, but but, but uh, yeah. another interesting thing is the thing where they then try and blow the ship out with thermite. I feel like this didn't work super well in the film. It worked well enough, but that was like taken directly from the story. Yeah, like, it turns out like the, the, the ship's actually made out of magnesium, and that's why it explodes. Yeah, it's like a magnesium alloy, so it turns yeah. out it's very flammable. And so the whole thing, they just destroy the ship by accident by trying to melt yeah, it Yeah, I don't think the they mention that in the movie. I think they just blow it up, and it's like, oh, well, shit. Yeah, yeah, there's like, whoops, uh... And but but yeah, so it's an interesting little detail that is in there. That's like how they end up not having the ship anymore, which is something that disappears entirely from the the Carpenter film because they take a completely different approach with the ship being this giant thing that's still there. Yeah. Um, but uh, but um, yeah, that, that, so that got carried through, and I thought that was interesting. It was like one of those things where like, oh, you did keep that story note. The whole fundamental premise, nah. But burning the ship, that we gotta let's definitely burn the ship. That's a yeah. that's a keeper. Then we'll never have to show it. Yep. Ching. Um, well, the movie I, that movie was not fucking around with the the soundtrack during that discovery scene either. Like you know, I, I hadn't particularly noticed the soundtrack up until then, but then it just like goes to eleven at the UFO discovery yeah. scene in Think from Another World. Just huge orchestral swell. There's like ah stuff. The brass and they definitely blow something up. That's a that's like a that's a real explosion. That looked like a full scale explosion. Yeah. Um. I, maybe they built an entire spaceship out of magnesium and blew that up just so it's realistic. Cinema verite. Um, you know what I actually kind of enjoyed? No. How ridiculously nonchalant everybody was about discovering a spaceship and an alien. Well, someone did shout, holy cats. And someone else <laughs> said, we found a flying saucer. So, I mean, they were they were excited at least. Maybe not... Yeah. Uh, troubled beyond belief by the discovery of extraterrestrial life, but they, they, they noticed. Yeah, there was, um, and they keep referring to it as a him, like immediately, like it's not a thing, you know, yeah. there's no speculation. No, that's, that's, that's a dude in there. It's, it's him. All right. 
um, which, which I thought was kind of different from, you know, what, what you sort of, ex- I, I think that's a really, you know, old school science fiction thing where you just immediately assume that, that the thing you're, 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 um, that the thing that's after you basically, like the, the, the rubber suit monster is, you know, it's, it's, it's got a specific, um, identity already. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a dude that, that you know, there, there's no, uh, Nobody ever is actually just like, well, maybe it's like, how do we know like the the biology matches? Like, well, look, it looks like a dude. It's got to be a dude, right? Yeah. Science. Yep. <laughs> Ain't pretty enough to be a lady. <laughs> Boy, I sure wish I could hit one right now. This fucking this era. This this whole thing. Fifties <laughs> were terrible. There was um. Take that, the fifties. If the fifties is listening, we apologize. Um, I'm sorry, you were saying. Yeah, there was there was a scene in the uh, the 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 helicopter. I think when they're flying back, um, where they're, I, th- I think one of the guys reads off the um, like the Air Force regulation uh, that indicates that oh, uh, not yeah. the Air Force or the military that indicates that the military does not acknowledge the existence of flying saucers, which is also why the real life military didn't want to help out in this movie, even though Howard Hawks asked. Because they they thought it would violate their actual standing on it, so that might be the actual regulation. Um, and then uh, captain the captain's just like, oh, what regulation is that? And, he's, and he just rattles off some numbers, and he goes like, oh, that one. And then they all turn to each other and they laugh. And there's no punchline. There was the setup to a punchline, but there's no punchline. Uh, it's just you know, well, the, the, the whole punchline is ha ha. Oh we, yeah, right. I remember that big long string of numbers because of course who would remember that and whatnot. But yeah, the whole, I wrote. I, I, I noted like I was thinking specifically of the humor and uniform section of Reader's Digest, like one of the <laughs> particularly not good anecdotes from that or something. It's like it really felt like a oh, but the point is military intelligence. What an oxymoron. <laughs> Like you say, the tone of the film is so like it's not even it's not even like grim, cynical humor. They're just like, oh man, the military. You know how it is. Yeah, I think somebody tells him that, uh, and this I'm I was actually kind of surprised that you know this is only a couple of years after World War II when you know super patriotism was going on, and he was just like, they'll probably make you a general for destroying the evidence. And I'm just like, wow, that's uh, you know that's I that that's a, a kind of an odd line to get in there. Uh, at least this close to to you know a world war. Well, you know, I don't know the burgeoning. Uh, I, I feel like 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 post World War Two and sort of easing on into the Cold War. There was a sense that you know uh, the, the sort of like. Well, I, I think for one thing, like the Project Paperclip thing, like 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 the the aftermath of World War Two. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a big resettling thing and redrawing of of lines and antagonism, and and yeah, maybe the idea that there was this sort of fundamental uh, attitude towards you know keeping things covered up and keeping things on the DL or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 again, with with the odd tone all over the place yeah. in the. There's a there's a scene where everybody's having an argument, and you know, like in the Carpenter movie, I, I'm pretty sure there was a scene like that, and somebody was just like, "Everybody, shut the fuck up!" And in this one, somebody yells out, "We're getting nowhere!" And I think the captain replies, that "We're, not, we're consistent." <laughs> it's like, all right, that's oh, um, Tex, the uh, the radio operator, the uh, for, uh, who's apparently supposed to be from Texas. I guess that's a Texas accent. Sure. Um, at one point when there's a bunch of people, I think it's, I, I don't remember if it's when they were gathering weapons or something, but he walks in there and he's just like, whoa, boys, looks like a lynching. It's like, what? 
I was just I could I, I thought I had misheard it, but I, I did not. I completely missed that line. Wow. Uh, this is one of those. This is one of those movies where every once in a while, I think I just check my email to give myself a break, and I probably should have been. Do- actually, you know, there were audio issues on the version of this I watched, and so I actually missed the occasional line. So I may have actually literally not heard that one. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. There was a there was a moment. Speaking of like the science in this film and its sort of shoddy treatment, like science only comes up either as sort of villainy or the occasional like MacGuffin or or or, or prop. Uh, so there's a guy with a Geiger counter that gets used a lot in in the thing from other world where they use the Geiger counter to track the presence of the creature because apparently it's pretty radioactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they've got the Geiger counter that they're using when they're finding the UFO in the first place, and apparently the Geiger counter is going crazy when they get near the UFO, and then they accidentally set the thing on fire with a thermite bomb, and then after <laughs> that, um, which is exactly what happened in the movie too, it's like well we got to melt through the ice or in the book, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. uh, and you know so they catch it on fire accidentally. But then the guy with the Geiger counter is like. You know, he's getting almost no readings now uh, after the fire. You know, it's, you know, it's gone. Uh, And it is radiation. If it's gone, it had to go somewhere. Did it, did it all just suddenly rapidly flee? I mean, it seems like, yeah, you should all be dead if in fact somehow, I don't know. It it made no sense, but it's, it's a kind of random bullshit that, you know, this movie does because it's not, it's science fiction in, in only the strictest genre sense. It's like, you know, it's not science fiction. It's, you know, even compared to like shitty science and, you know, contemporary science fiction, it's, mm-hmm. it's another yard gone uh, in this thing. And it's sort of frustrating every time I made the mistake of trying to take seriously something uh, at all having to do with like thinking and science in in the film and realize, no, what am I doing? Yeah, this movie thinking? does not allow for it in the least. I mean, there's a lot of problems with suspension and disbelief here. The way that the thing gets freed is that, uh, so they, they set up a watch and they send a guy to, you know, they, they, and it's a small room. It's, it's, it's basically the same room as it was in Carpenter's movie that they were keeping this thing. And I think even, um, I think even some like because it was there was stairs like in front of it going down. Um, I I think Carpenter took the room right out of there, but he, and he definitely took like the 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 ice cube like with the hollow where the thing escapes. Definitely yeah. took it uh, the look right out of this movie. But what happens is the guy is uh, throws a blanket onto it, and I guess he doesn't realize that the blanket he threw onto it is the electric blanket he asked for, or yeah. somebody well, asked. I, for. I think it was somebody else. Yep. So like he comes somebody, in on shift yep. change. So he's, oh, yeah, he's seeing he the yeah, we've gotten some dialogue yeah. from the guys previously on there. Be like, oh, I'm, I got the jimmies after looking at that fella. Who, you know? And so he comes in and he's getting the jimmies a little bit, and so he just throws a blanket over it, and he doesn't realize that it was the electric blanket that someone yeah, else yeah, asked so he, for. And then it it slowly starts melting the giant block of ice. So and the 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 shifts are two hours long. So the the implication there is that he threw the blanket on there, turned around to the desk where he's writing sideways. He's not even sitting with his back to the to the thing. He's sitting with his side to the thing, and just doesn't look up for two straight hours. Yeah, and and there's the dripping, and yeah, yeah, and the, and the thing gets out, and it's it's just it's like I mean, was that the best you guys could do? Electric blanket? It, it was it was pretty dumb, and it's it's a it's such a weird thing too. Like uh, one of, one of the things that's interesting in the story, and and we don't we never really get this in the Carpenter film because it's interesting. Like every telling of this. Uh, starts at a different moment and restructures a little bit the reveal of the the creature situation in the book the book the short story actually opens up with 
an argument like from like literally the first thing that happens is we we join an argument in progress between two different camps uh, in the in the Antarctic group over whether they should or should not unthaw or or or, or, or you know get this thing out of the ice and and one argument is we shouldn't because it will be dangerous. Uh, because who knows what extraterrestrial germs could be involved here, and it could you know cause a terrible sickness. And the other side of the argument was, but it's so alien that there's no way that its germs would even be compatible with us biologically enough to be a problem. Um, and that in the book that it's actually it's intended as an actual debate and sort of making cases on either sides. And someone's like, yes, but look, there's cross species bacteria that we see in, in nature on earth. And the other side's like, yes, but you know, there's limits to that. You know, you, you can say, Hey, I can catch this disease from a bird, but you're not going to catch a disease from a wheat plant. And you and a wheat plant are so much closer biologically than either of those could be to this thing from clearly another planet. Um, and it's, it's, so it's a big back and forth, and it's it's sort of like the fundamental opening of the book is is sort of like trying to hash this out, and the idea that this is a serious, you know, scientific de- debate based on uh, the conflict between these separate ideas and the enthusiasm for checking this thing out. And in the movie, it's just like, oh well, let's uh, put it on ice, and uh, we're not going to melt down until uh, till the government says we can, and the government said we can't, so we won't. And oops, an electric blanket. Yeah. Uh, and then we get this tiny little vestigial version of the argument. Uh, also shows up before that happens in in the the old film. You know, there's a little bit of it, but it's just it's just a sliver of it, and it's just sort of like dismissed. And of course, it's also Doctor Carrington being like, "Oh, but we should totally do this thing that clearly we shouldn't do because I'm an evil science guy," mm-hmm. uh, rather than an actual debate between like two interesting characters. So the whole thing yeah, is I, it's so odd. Yeah. I think you know we keep. Uh, I, th- I think we both said evil scientist a couple of times. I think the uh, character's archetype is a little different than the evil scientist, yeah, yeah, and it's not, the yeah, he's not it's the scientist villain. unconcerned for human life or basically anything that isn't science. Yeah, uh, which it, I think again is like sort of like the Operation Paperclip thing. You know, Werner von Braun. It's like uh, okay, I'm not a Nazi anymore. Whatever, just give me money to build rockets. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the thing with Doctor Carrington, he's very much he, he's not like steepling his fingers. Yeah. I will destroy you all. No, he's yeah, he, there's he at least two being. scenes where he's so deep into his research that he doesn't hear like conversations going around and around him. So he has to be like Doctor Carrington. He's like, oh, what? Oh, huh. Sorry, I was really into this science book yeah it's very much he's very much a, a guy who has priorities that are at odds with the other guys in the film uh it's just that it's presented in such an unsympathetic way that even if he's not strictly a villain he's being treated as an antagonistic foil he's being treated as the person who is uh who has the wrong motivations who has the cross purposes who is prioritizing his dumb science stuff over you know human life and and and, and so on uh, you know, so he I, I becomes think, um, that sort of villain figure, even if it's only a very soft sort of villain. There's actually a bunch of stuff from this movie that makes it into the Aliens franchises. I'm, yes. I don't know if like directly or not, but uh, some of it actually might be directly, but some of it is definitely just you know filtered down. You know, you've got uh, from the original. I mean, I think all of the Alien movies, but definitely the first two, have like that disinterested character with their own agenda that doesn't mind putting other lives at risk for science. I mean, yeah. that's that's almost a hallmark of the Alien movies. That even shows up in Prometheus too. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the, the tracking the creature by, by the beeping thing that, uh, you know, beeps faster and faster as it gets closer, sort of like mimicking a heart rate going up with, 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 they had that with the Geiger counter in here. And, um, there was actually an extended conversation 
I think it was, I mean, it must have been character, and he's the only one who would have phrased it, where they talk about how the creature is, like, absolutely perfect. And, you know, you know, it's, it, it, it was, yeah, you know, it's wiser it than us. perfectly. It's, yeah, it's, it, it yeah. lacks our weaknesses. It's, it, yeah. it has, you know, uh, superhuman wisdom, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the things about the... Um, the xenomorphs in, in Alien was that they were just like, they were evolved. They were like, you know, the equivalent of like the shark. They have evolved to the peak of what they need to be. Every part of it, you know, is a, is a weapon that kills. Um, and, you know, it's a perfect creature in that way. And also that reminds me of um, Starship Troopers, the uh, the classroom scene ah, where yeah. uh, they're dissecting the um, they're dissecting the bug and like the blind professor is going on about how much how better the how better the bugs are than us at uh, surviving, um, and that and the same uh, the same what do you call it uh, special effects company worked on both Starship Troopers and the 2011 version of the thing, huh. and uh, that's how the New World Order is going to take over the planet. Well, there we go. Good to know. Uh- <laughs> I've just got. A, I've got. I'm, I'm. I'm looking at my little, you know, uh, cork board with like little strings between the uh, between the pins on there. Okay. Just linking. I, I can hear the up. occasional subtle twang as you you, you trip one of your uh, yarn <laughs> lines there thoughtfully. Uh, I wanted to say, Doctor Carrington. Like, like, I think the I think the comparison to uh, Lost in Space is good, and I think that's probably the the fundamental thing that was in the back of my head that I was trying to place who this guy was reminding me of, but, but I also was getting less directly kind of a Dr. Chilton from Hannibal vibe off the Dr. Carrington. I haven't character. watched any of season two yet. Well, but you've seen Chilton in the first. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So it's that, yeah, that, that character that. basically that, that sort of weird, slightly sociopathic, uh, lilt to him and the way he's characterized as a, as a total douche nozzle. Um, I, I wanted to say like, uh, I mean, there's, there. I, I have a, a more, more notes about like just the continuing theme of sort of like anti-intellectual, anti-scientific stuff here. There's, they, they, they fall yeah, they, back they, several times on sort of like the, at some point, I think Dr. Carrington saying, you know, uh, I, he's examining the creature's arm that they found and it's like, oh, so there's some kind of chitinous substance. And someone's like, speak English doc. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding? You can't, <laughs> you can't deal with chitinous I mean, he's looking at the nails of a thing, and you're like, "Hey, that's you're going over my head, Doc. Let's let's behave here. Let's act like normal human beings and not use fancy words." You know, it's like the whole thing just felt like like people were angry at science for being present. You know, if we aren't immediately punching this thing, then someone's a fucking nerdlinger. What's going on here? You know, it's like it just it's so disappointing uh, as a recurring thing throughout the film. Did you notice how he was also like the most unmasculine character in the entire movie? Oh, sure, yeah. Including the women who were not really masculine at all. Yep. That was yeah. The, yeah, the, I mean, the, the 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 blonde, slightly older nurse who was just sort of like a stoic army nurse, and then the the younger lady who was like the brassy girl Friday, like manic pixie dream boxy. girl Friday, you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, both of them are like real, and then yeah, Doctor Carrington is yeah. That's it's just it's such a it's such a big mess of just ugly old shitty characterization habits that uh, it's hard to it's hard to not just be so annoyed at the film. But uh, oh, there's also that weird little scene between uh, Captain Henry and and the lady uh, Nikki 
uh, where they're joking about, well, maybe you know, tie up your hands this time because he was all drunk and handsy and sexually assaulting her previously. That, that scene opens with her like feeding him a shot of liquor while he's already tied to a chair. Yes. That, yeah, like that, this, that like, was like, surprising. This really mild little random, like, like kinky scene out of nowhere in this film. And then it turns out he's untied himself all along, too, and he's just keeping his hands back there because he felt like it. And the, the whole, again, like, why is this in this film? Like, there's nothing thematically here. Like, if they were going to tie this into some sort of psychological drama that played through the film, that'd be great. Let's, let's take the idea of their sort of weird relationship, uh, attraction slash antagonism and make that a broader part of a story about how people relate to this alien being, maybe. Okay, boom, you've got me with, you know, thematic, you know, layers here. But no, it was just, I, again, I think what you were saying earlier about you can almost just read the psychology of whoever, like, you know, wrote this script into the weird incongruous things that show up. I mean, in, I, I in, in really the, feel like that all of those scenes are just like, it's like, well, you know, we want dames to see this movie too, so let's throw a little romance in there for yeah. them. Um, and you know what, that actually, that, that, that sort of thing is still around in Hollywood where, uh, you know, you know the, uh, the John Carter movie, you know why it was called John Carter and not John Carter of Mars? Why? It was because um, their, you know, the studio's research said that if you call it John Carter of Mars, women won't see it. Oh, because, oh, it's a Mars movie. Yes. Yeah. Space. I hate Mars. Yeah. Um. See, women, women are more prone to align themselves with Athena, who uh, right. yeah, wages let's... war in a more strategic and intelligence way rather than the raw fighting of Mars. you so. to play to your mythological demo here, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean Demosthenes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, um, oh, earlier in the movie when they're flying from Anchorage to the North Pole, first there's you know a bunch of people sleeping in in that prop plane. Which can that can you do that? Can you sleep in a prop plane? Like because they they look like they were all sleeping pretty soundly. I didn't even too. try hard enough. Sure. Yeah, and the other thing is that one of the pilots was smoking and drinking a cup of coffee while flying the plane. Nineteen fifty-one, baby. Can you? Yeah, I mean. That, that just seems that's a lot of things to do while flying an airplane. Uh, I guess that's it's why not there, that much happening at a given time. And yeah, you got co pilots. You know, you only need like half a pilot on each uh, on each seat. Uh, I like I like the fact that the guy woke everybody up for coffee, uh, and they're like, "How far are we? Oh, three hours." Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I I should definitely sit here awake in a small noisy plane in the cold drinking coffee to pass the time instead of doing the sleeping that was working just fine. <laughs> You know, wake me up in two and a half hours, motherfucker. <laughs> but uh, I did. I did. I, I liked a couple lines uh, in the film. Just if anything, because they were funny. Because after we established that we can't just have a straightforward scientific conversation, something you know, we start getting into. Well, let me put this in layman terms. And, and someone, when the doctor's describing the vegetable evolution of the creature, it sounds like you're discussing some kind of uh, super carrot. <laughs> an intellectual carrot. The mind boggles, you know. And it's uh, okay. I can get behind this. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to get behind the super. Like, once we talk about the carrot more than once, it's it's actually at least an entertaining dialogue theme. Uh, but there's also like I think the only like sort of actually spooky line in the film, and I wasn't able to actually appreciate it as remotely spooky at this point. But mm -hmm. maybe if I was watching this and I was like you know a ten year old kid, and this was really about as good as science fiction got, I would have been. So they're, they're growing the seed pods from this vegetable monster, and the, the seed pods are pulsing a little bit. Because the first thing you do cool. when you encounter a vegetable monster is you figure out how to make more of them. Well, you do if you're some sort of crazy, shitty, wussy, intellectual science villain. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, 
there's a little seed pods that have grown over the last few hours and they're sort of pulsing, which is kind of cool. And then someone listens to it with a stethoscope. And of course, this is the state of filmmaking that instead of dealing with this with actual sound design by coming up with a cool sound effect and bringing it in, you just have someone listen to it and then describe what they heard, which is really kind of underwhelming. But what they describe is like, it's the, like the sort of like screaming of the distant screaming of like a hungry child or a hungry baby is what they heard when they put the stethoscope on the on the pulsing seed pod. And I thought that was that was like at least legitimately an attempt at a, at a spooky, weird alien life sort of line. But uh, yeah, and like they were sort of like throbbing in and out, and I thought that was a pretty cool effect. Yeah. Um, and he was feeding them blood. Yeah, it was very very little shop of horrors again, sort of Doctor Frankenstein sort of theme coming in there. Uh, oh, I'm I you know I, I'm sad that they they you know that there there's no. There's not going to be a remake of this movie where somebody takes off like the the things after listening, being just like, um, "Feed me Seymour." But I don't. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, oh, uh, at some point, uh, Doctor Carrington uses the phrase "stranger in a strange land" to describe. Um, yes. And this is before the novel came out. Well, which but that, is, that, that line it's itself a biblical is a, phrase. Yeah, it's a biblical yeah. illusion, so it's not as crazy. But yeah, maybe maybe Heinlein. Uh, caught that. I was like, oh, that's a great... Yeah, I should totally... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, I, I had a couple other little notes, but I'm trying to see what... It's a really realistic dead dog. Yes. Part of me feels like that might have been an actual <laughs> dead dog. Because <laughs> okay, that was ready for the really dog? realistic. Yeah. And they and they pan... Like, you know, they, they open up, like, some drawer or compartment and, you know, like, a dead husky falls out. I'm like, oh, Jesus... And thankfully that they had the sense that the rest of the scene takes place over the dog's body, but they, you know, they, they what do you call it, tilt the camera up so it's just out of frame. Yeah. Just like, well, thank you for not making me look at a dead dog for the next, like, three minutes. Um, but yeah, that was one of the things that seemed to actually carry through was the dogs uh, from the story to yeah. the, the, the film here. They, they kept that around, at least minimally. You have the dog the dog's barking and warning when something's up. So it's like one little element. Uh, There's a scene where somebody riddles an iron door with using like a, a machine gun. Oh yeah. Yeah. That doesn't, (laughs) don't do that. That seems like a bad idea. And then like two minutes later when they've regrouped the guys who are on the other side at the other entrance is like, Hey, next time you unload that cannon, you know, maybe aim it up a little bit. And what he's saying is please don't shoot me with your gun. But like you know, it's not it's not played as like a, it, it's it's another one of those palling around almost like humor in uniforms. Like, hey, try not to you know, murder me with your machine gun. <laughs> oh, right, you are, Jim. You know, it's like uh, at one point somebody I think turns a gun away that someone's thoughtlessly pointing at them. But several other times in the film, people are just totally pointing guns at people's backs because they're standing behind them. It's it's. It's oh mess. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. There's a scene where he just comes up to the camera. He's just like aiming the gun the whole time. The guy's just like, "Well, I'll take that." Yeah, it's very carefully. There's a point where somebody says, "Your is either our or your science based weapons won't work." <laughs> Do you remember that line? I, I missed that one. <laughs> Um, what weapons are in science? It's yeah. like, uh, we're going to need well, Excalibur. Again, the whole, the whole, the whole theme, the whole like, you know, fuck science for getting us into tr- trouble sort of thing. That like, seems well, we've had it up to here with your science, doc. We, I'm going to go punch it to death. We, we've talked about <laughs> the monster looking like just sort of a Frankenstein thing. It's not even as inspired. It's like, it's really like a smooth forehead, big 
headpiece and then some shitty pointy fingered claws is like the entire costume design for this monster in the original short story uh it's described as looking like aggressively alien like it's still approximately humanoid i think in shape but it's got three red eyes and they're like red staring hateful eyes that uh uh you know are, are described as extremely alien uh it's got uh no hair but weird blue wormy tubes coming out of its head instead and and uh in the story they sort of speculate as to whether or not that's actually its form or just the form of what it, whatever it was imitating at the time but but in any case, they actually tackle know. um in the 2011 version of the thing but then they yeah. cut all those scenes out oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get to that part yeah. when we uh we get to it um dr carrington oh. has this line at one point which says there are no enemies in science only phenomena to study you know, yeah. studying this one, which again, right to the core of the positioning him as, uh, I have a bad attitude about this movie. Clearly they keep a whole bunch of kerosene, like, Oh, just canisters sitting around, yeah. indoors. Yeah. In, I think it was even in the barracks. Yeah. I was just sitting there by a bunk or something. It's yeah. like, Oh yeah, I got, I got two gallons of kerosene right here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've been huffing this thing for weeks. Finally get to put it to use. Um, there's a scene where uh, they finally make contact with, um, you know, uh, was it Palmer Brace or McMurdo or Anchorage or whatever. And um, I think it's the cap- captain says, it's like, you know, tell them to bring weapons, mortars, hand grenades, you know, guns, flamethrowers. And I, I can't imagine it's a coincidence that Carpenter's version of the thing has both flamethrowers uh, and grenades in it. Yeah, considering that line. Well, and there's there's flamethrower uh, in the original story too. Um, so goes all the way back to Campbell. Apparently, um, I, in fact, there's more flamethrower in the story than there is in this film. Like flamethrowers get mentioned there in in the film, but it, it's very actively used as a recurring weapon in uh, in the short story. So I think that's probably more where it came from with with Carpenter. Um. um. Their plan to kill it at the end was – did they basically build a Faraday cage around it and use it to electrocute in that? Because that's the opposite of how that yeah, works. Yeah, I'm not sure how that was – That th- hey, let's put a bunch of electrified metal on the floor and then we'll put some wooden pallets on top of it and then we need it to walk on the – yeah, and apparently it was just going to be magical arcing is how the whole thing worked and it – yeah, they, they, they built some sort of inverse Faraday cage because from what I can tell, their plan was to insulate it against uh, being electrocuted yeah, very make well. Any sense. It, it seems like they should have just tried to get it to walk into a couple of wires would have made a hell of a lot more sense of what they did. But but they had to have some drama and that was like the most tedious sort of like final showdown yeah. scene too. It was like, let, wait for it. Wait it was like MMO style drawing it. aggro where it's, you know, it's like, all right, we get that guy to get there and then it'll chase him. It's like, are you sure? Because that's a really bad plan. Yep. Um, Carrington then, makes uh, a last ditch effort to save it because, yeah, yeah he, he he gets a gun. He sucks apparently, up and, to it. <laughs> well, well first, first, first he gets a gun and he, he goes into the room where the uh, generator for the electrical trap is mm-hmm. and apparently at gunpoint gets them to shut it off and then someone comes in and... Uh, I don't know, smacks the gun out of his hand or something. And so then he, he runs out and confronts the creature right before they electrocute it. And he pleads with it again to use its great wisdom to understand and, and talk to them and blah, 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 blah. And then it just knocks him over and breaks his collarbone. And, and then they, yeah, it just does a whole smash. Yep. Um, which, uh, was, is a lot like a certain scene in Prometheus that, um, I don't want to spoil really, yeah, but basically the exact same thing happens yeah. in Prometheus. Uh, 
there was a um Oh, you know what? I well, I was really sad about. So they 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 electrocute the shit out of the monster. You know, it, it's an, it's not just like shock it, kill it, and chop its head off. They just electrocute it to death. Uh, and and nobody made a roasted vegetables joke. <laughs> I was so upset. Well, but there was a reference earlier. Uh, sassy Nikki lady was like, you know, what do you do with a? How do you kill a vegetable? Like, oh, well, you roast it, you boil it, you steam it. You know, so she they sort of like touched on that at least briefly earlier. But uh, and then oh. the, the reporter faints. Now, Scotty, Scotty's an annoying character throughout the entire mm-hmm. fucking film, but he seems to be annoying partly because he really does want to get in on things. He doesn't want to be left behind. He wants to be there. And then just having him faint at the end after something gets electrocuted seems like just the dumbest sort of, again, like vaguely antagonistic towards, you know, people who aren't the guys with the strong chins in the military, like for no apparent reason. I just thought that was like, they just needed another cheap laugh. It's like, uh, this movie, this movie. There was uh, the weird thing about that is that there was an allusion earlier in the movie to like current events from 1952 that I had, I had to had to look this up that they they mention they they ask him about his like journalism credentials they mention if he wasn't at some it, it was an execution I, I think they just refer to it by the name of the person who was executed and the thing about this execution was that a journalist snuck in there with a camera tied to his ankle oh, yeah. and got a photo of the person you know in the electric chair being executed um, and I, I'm wondering if that was like sort of an allusion to that. Um, that, that that's a good point that, that seems like an a, yeah. maybe a direct uh yeah. intentional reference uh as a, as a callback to earlier in the film and i had forgotten about that line but yeah remember that uh, you bring that up there's um oh a couple of funny things happen when uh, somebody suggested you know the thing might be able to read minds because you know in, in the book it can in the movie i don't, I'm the, they don't that, i think that's the most that they imply that it's telepathic um but one of the guys is just like well he's gonna be pissed off when he reads mine i'm just like all i can think is are you a vegan <laughs> did you have sex with vegetables i don't understand what you're implying he's, he's thinking angry thoughts towards it i think was all they were going yeah. for there nothing <laughs> so, so there's so, um oh one one thing when so they barricade one of the doors against it and you know with like this really elaborate fucking barricade um and at, at a point you know there's supposed to be a scene that the barricade is ineffective because the thing rips the door off the other way but honestly it just looks like he opens the door because it just it, it's an opening motion not like a door being ripped off its hinges motion so it's, so it felt like one of those comedies where somebody builds a barricade and it turns out the door opens the other way. I, I thought it was skipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to. I, I'm not sure I caught it when I was watching it, but yes, yes. Uh, I had some. I had some sort of thesis, and oh, you know. Okay, so here's. I, I, I guess maybe I'll say this is sort of like my final thought on this this film, uh, and and then if you don't have any other major stuff, we'll we'll move on to the 2011 one. But the, one of the there's so many things that are missing in this film from the short story and that, that get reconstituted after the fact by Carpenter in 82 as like actually trying to film the, the story. Uh, but the, the, there's no McCready in this yeah. movie that like, like no one feels like, like you have like, like he's in, in the, in the short story, he's this stoic bronze giants, you know, and, and there's nothing in here. You know, you don't have this grizzled totem of man. You don't even have McCready from Carpenter's film who, ends up filling that role of being able to like sort of take command and just move with authority, you know, under desperate circumstances. I mean, Kurt Russell's character is a little bit more of a, of a, of a misfit. You know, he seems like a guy who's in the Antarctic because, you know, where else is he going to be? But still he's got that sort of 
driven strength, that sort of steely-eyed thing going on. And there's just none of them. Like, like Captain Henry is almost like a little bit petulant in his, like, you know, uh, well, let's not have any smart talk and, A, stop teasing me about flirting with this lady who I'm going to go uh, flirt with some more. You know, like there's none of that sense of that that central character who is actually capable of standing down a yeah, threat a from too, another world. He's a bit too put upon the whole movie to to really be that kind of character. He's got it's not that he's got like too many soft sides. It's it's just that he never actually, you know, the, he he never takes the initiative that nobody else wants to take. You never get that sense from him. Like in um like I mean McCready becomes basically the the the, the, the chief of the dudes in, in Carpenter's movie when they're just like, well, you know, the the main guy's dead. We, you know, so uh you you guy, you're you're second in command guy's just like, yo, I don't want it. He's like, you know <laughs> Nope, <laughs> yeah, not it. Yeah, and um, and actually, what I liked about that was that you know in in Carpenter's movie that didn't make the guy feel like he was like wussing out or anything, but that like he was making the responsible choice to not lead everybody because he would get them all killed. Yeah, um, and, and I like that. And then you know, McCready steps up. You know, even though he doesn't really, he's not really stepping up. And even though people think he's the thing, and 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 in this movie, it's you know, like everybody follows rank. Um, it's you know the the only person that that the only person that doesn't immediately cede all authority to to Captain Hendry is is Carrington. That's that that's it. You know, otherwise it's just implied that he he's in the lead, even though he's not really much of a leader. Yep. Like you know, he he talks the talk, but but McCready is the one who walks the walk. Yeah, with 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 Captain Henry and Carrington, there, there's almost this like you know, yeah, but what did Dad say? Dynamic to waiting for orders to come in over yeah. the pipe and whatnot. So, yeah, really, yeah. In summary, what a pile of shit. Yep. What were they Just, thinking 60 years ago trying to make movies? Don't they know that we have opinions now? Um, but really, just really just fundamentally a disappointing attempt to, or, or, or lack of attempt to adapt. Like I have to imagine, uh, I'd be curious to know, you know, but uh, I would have to imagine that, that John Campbell was not happy with, what happened to his story with that film. If I, if I heard someone's going to adapt my story and then they missed the point so fundamentally when they actually got around to it, I would be if this was like a, upset. If this was a video podcast that, you know, you saying that would immediately cut to just like a 1950s guy counting a bunch of money. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know what? I, you know, I, I didn't know a whole lot about this movie before I watched it. And, you know, because uh, anyway, yeah. And, you know, when I finished watching it, it was just like, all right, well, you know, sort of like a mediocre science fiction movie. I guess that's why, you know, not a lot of people know that the thing was based on on a different thing. And then I started reading about it. So, you know, it was like the biggest fucking movie in 1952, well, yeah, you know, science was- fiction classic. I'm like, what, this? Yeah, I think that the guy who played Carrington, like it was a huge role for him. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think this was kind of a big deal at the time because I don't know, movies were just. <laughs> I mean, this is around the same time as like War of the Worlds, or yeah, that was a couple years um, later. The day the Earth stood and, still, and the guy who played Carrington was in uh, War of the Worlds as well. Uh-huh. Um, he's got a weird name, Cornthwaite or something like that. <laughs> uh, Robert Cornthwaite. Cornthwaite, yeah. Cornthwaite. 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 You're listening to We Have Such Corn Thwaites to Show You. Um, <laughs> such corns to thwaite you? Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's call it, that's, 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 let's jump forward. Let's, let's leap over John Carpenter's uh, The Thing 
and, and, and miss, miss by another 30 years and end up on the far bookend with, yeah, uh, 2011's also the thing. Which, I don't know, I mean, it's probably smart that they just get the same title uh, and bank off the the cachet, but I really kind of wish they'd given it. Because, I mean, this this film really is an attempt at, like, a direct prequel. You know, it's not, it's not, in a sense, it's remaking Carpenters because it's playing with some of the same themes, but it's so explicitly structured as a prequel, trying to work with Carpenter's film Mm -hmm. narratively as things that happened before setting up the shots we get from that Mm -hmm. other film. That it's kind of weird that it wasn't, you know... I don't know before the thing or or, right. or uh, some good title that isn't just the thing you know. Based on uh, what I read on IMDb, they basically couldn't decide on a better title than just using the thing, and that's why it wasn't called that. But that sounds like one of those IMDb trivia things that some guy just types in there. Yeah, hard uh, to I don't know. know what the vetting process for those is. Now, uh, let, before we just get into this, we should probably take a quick break. Okay, let's take a quick break, and uh, and then we'll uh, be back from that break. Yes. Okay. Especially a good time because my phone kept ringing and Nikki just left the house and I'm wondering if she locked herself out or something. So BRB. All right.
Okay. All right. Y'all, y'all good? Yep. Oh, wait. Actually, no, I'm not. Give me one sec. I forgot my water. Son of a bitch. Okay, now I'm ready. All right. And we are back. We're so back. So if we back. Were, if we were if we were any more back, uh baby ribs. Back baby. I want Right, so we're back. <laughs> Josh lost his copy of the script. <laughs> Sorry folks. Um yeah, so the the thing 2011 directed by some guy whose name I'm about to butcher. Uh, it's it was a Norwegian uh, co-production, which is why half the movie is in, uh, I assume Norwegian, um, and not subtitled. Did your version have subtitles? Uh, there was a mix of subtitles and not subtitles, uh, which was, was interesting. Uh, it, it seemed like it was intended as like you know they subtitled some of the stuff where it was important to have a sense of what specifically was being said, but then they skipped subtitles in a bunch of scenes where. I think it really wasn't necessary to know. It was like it was sufficient to know that people were, you know, angrily yelling, um, or or just doing, you know, small prompts and whatnot. Because I, I, I thought, uh, like, were there no subtitles in yours? There was no subtitles in mine whatsoever. Oh, interesting! Wow. So yeah. that was that was a little weird. I, I, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if that uh, would read a little bit different to me. Yeah, no. It, there were definitely scenes in the 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 version I watched that. Uh, had subtitles and scenes that did not, and I got the impression that they subtitled largely where it made sense to provide the extra information about what was being talked about on top of the language barrier stuff that worked thematically without needing to know what people were saying. Uh, so, for example, there were a couple scenes where um, there were like four Norwegians and then an American in the room, and the four Norwegians were trying to have a conversation, and they were pointedly speaking in Norwegian uh, to not be understood. Uh, but, uh, but then I got subtitles and they weren't saying anything super crazy, but it was like, it it helped establish that it wasn't just, Oh, here's these Norwegians who are impossible to understand versus our, you know, sympathetic American character. It was more like, Oh, here's an actual tactical conversation between these guys who are aware that the advantage they have in this situation is, uh, the language barrier. And they're having just a short tactical discussion sort of about the situation. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how differently I would have read a couple of the scenes if the Norwegians had just been entirely inaccessible instead of uh, subtitled. That's curious. Yeah, that's. Uh, I wonder what was up with my copy. Mm. Um, oh, the direct. Oh, also the working title for it was uh, the thing at the beginning. The thing colon uh, the beginning. Which I have to admit, that's a pretty boring. It, it, yep. it feels like so. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to give them grief about the title. I. I I would like there to have been a good alternate title, but uh, I don't have one to suggest. So so this one opens with some Nords in a snow crawler vehicle, uh, telling, one of them telling a joke about uh, a, a kid fucking his grandmother. So I, I felt that was a strong opening. Oh, it, I knew it, it was an obscene joke. Oh, oh Wait, yeah, you, okay. you, you didn't... You, so that whole scene had no meaningful dialogue for you. No. Oh, okay. So he's... <laughs> 
<laughs> so he's sitting here. It's like it's like uh, so a little 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 Sven. He uh, he he walks in on his mother and his father uh, having sex, and he doesn't understand. Uh, and he's he, he he runs out of the room upset. And and the mother's like, oh, now what do we do? And the mother's like, ah, oh, I'll go. It'll be fine. I'll I'll go talk to him. And uh, and this gets interrupted by the guy in the back finding some readings, whatnot. And he's like, oh, okay, back with the joke. Okay, well, so so the father goes after his son, and he, he goes into his room, and he finds little Sven uh, in in right on top of his grandmother, just going at her, just just fucking his grandmother. And and he's like, Sven, what's the meaning of this? And and Sven looks and says, Well, I figured, you know, you play with mine, I play with yours, you know, because yeah, if you, uh, yeah, so they say, ha ha, you know, and uh, and then they fall into the ice and discover a UFO, and that's your opening. And I gotta say, after after having watched uh, the thing from another world earlier, I'm not sure I would describe that as the strongest opening for a science fiction film, but it sure felt like an actual opening for a film, so I, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I don't think yeah. there was anything to the text of the joke that made a difference in the scene, so I don't think he actually missed much of anything. It's just that there was a little bit of a being able to laugh at a dumb, obscene joke instead of just seeing guys apparently laughing at a dumb, obscene joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder how much of this movie I missed. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I, I spent a lot of it wondering. It's just like, <laughs> why are there no subtitles? Half of this movie is in Norwegian and or apparently Danish. Um. So yeah, there, there goes a, a serious criticism of the film that I had. Um, Did you acquire this by uh, substandard uh, or, or, or sublegal means from some sort of internet source, perhaps? No. Okay. No. Who would do that? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I really liked that they then cut like they've got this crawler gets trapped in this crevice looking down at a ufo oh my gosh big the thing title peels out just like in the carpenter film essentially no it's not they um so the uh thing from another world and the thing they both use the same uh the same like lettering for the title and the same effect that like burns in this one uses the same burn in effect but it's a different font well yeah but it's still it's 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 still pretty much the same move yeah but you think they would have they would have kept it like cuz carpenter kept it from the first one why wouldn't you want to keep it for this one that you know maybe they just really liked that nice clean sans serif font and they wanted yeah. to and also the the movie poster for this shows uh, what's his name uh, Benning from the first movie the guy whose arm the, the guy who they find like yeah, you know, transformed yeah. yeah I don't what yeah and I have no idea what's up with that because well to be fair in, in John Carpenter's film there is no buddy in a parka with a giant glowing face either so the original one's kind of a lie too so why not lie about something related to the original <laughs> on this one because who knows <laughs> look here's a picture of a movie you like go see our movie too yep. but uh. But yeah, so they they, they, they they fall into the crack, we get the tidal burn-in effect, and then we cut to some cave exploration footage that turns out to be like, uh, what do you call it, the endoscopic? Uh, yeah, it was the inside of a cave of bear. A de- of, or, or, or I thought it was a dead walrus for some reason. But, uh, it's it, yeah. just something. Yeah. For, for, for sure, for sure, it was uh, uh, Dr. Kate Lloyd. Is she a doctor? Anyway, Kate Lloyd, our protagonist, uh, our female lead, uh, poking around inside the corpse of some dead mammal instead of exploring the cave of the UFO. I thought that was a cute little uh, fake-out cut there that they opened with. Um, yeah, the scene where, uh, what's his name, uh, Halverson convinces her to you know join his expedition is some of the least convincing convincing I've seen in a movie. <laughs> 
It's just like it's like, well, you know, we've got a crew up at the uh, you know in Antarctica that discovered something. It's like, well, doctor, you're going to have to give me a little more information if you wanted me to go with you to Antarctica. And he's just like, there's a there's a specimen and there's a wait, there's a structure and a specimen. What do you say? She's like, well. I'm in. It's just like, well, what? I mean, no. to be fair, as, as an understated, I'm not going to tell you any details thing. It's still like we found a structure in Antarctica is puh and specimen. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, I, I mean, I kind of agree that it's very understated, mm-hmm. uh, but I was willing to buy it as like, okay, well, if she's not super involved in poking this bear or walrus or whatever it is, I think yeah. I just assumed it was a walrus because I was like, oh, this is probably going to be some sort of thing that you'd more likely find near an ice flow. But I guess she didn't have to be anywhere near the Arctic when this was happening, huh? Yeah, we have no idea where that scene was shot, right? Yeah, yeah. I was just running with it in my head, apparently. <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting. So this is one thing that watching this right after watching Thing from Another World, I kind of got a Carrington vibe from the get-go uh, on that. Yeah, that yeah, scene. Halverson. Yeah, he's even, he's even sort of got the right facial hair for it. Yep. Uh, I, I'm almost entirely sure that that, that must have been elusive. Yeah. So, so that's interesting to, to bring that back around and try and do something a little bit more subtle with it, at least this mm-hmm. time, though. Um, the UFO in this film has been in uh, the ice for 100,000 years, I think they say. Yeah. Uh, in the story, years. it was like 20 million uh, years. Uh, I think uh, based on – in the story, they basically said, well, based on where it is and the fact that it landed there – and you know changes in ice coverage mm-hmm. between then and now. We know it must have been there about twenty million years ago. Uh, in the Carpenter film, I think it had just sort of been there a while. I don't remember if we got any sort of actual number off it. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. And then in, um, in a thing from another world, I think I don't remember. I think the in the thing from another world, I think it was, yeah, it was recent. It just yeah. crashed in because they said that they just started. Uh, because there was an anomaly, like a uh, what do you call it? like some sort of like a radiation anomaly, and that's yeah. why they started investigating it, and that just started happening. So. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess sort of fits with like the idea at the time. It may have been more interesting to try and present it as a oh no, is this the vanguard of an alien invasion? Whereas in all the other versions, it's like oh, there were aliens a long time ago, and there's one of them left at least. Yeah, I mean that's like a really sort of Lovecraftian concept that I guess they didn't want. The, you know, it it wasn't. Like like the whole Lovecraftian cosmic horror thing, I guess wasn't as big yet back in the fifties. Because when did because Lovecraft wasn't? I mean, he was pretty popular during his time, but then it just sort of faded, and then there was like a revival of of, of his stuff. And I don't think um like like the sort of because I mean Carpenter's movie is absolutely influenced by Lovecraft. So is this one. Yeah, and you know like the thing being buried in the Arctic for you know longer than than we've been conscious is is a really that kind of thing, whereas, like, you know, the aliens just, you know, fell to Earth in their spaceship is a really, like, 50s horror movie thing. Yeah. Like, um, there was a, what do you call it? You know, you know what, this movie, uh, first, there was a lot of really, really nice, like, sweeping Arctic shots that I enjoyed. Yeah. And what I didn't enjoy is the fact that it, at no point did it feel like that. It, it didn't give me like that claustrophobic feeling that, that the thing does, where it's like you know you're locked in and you know outside is you know white hell, um, and and it's like you know you're you're stuck in these like sweaty little compartments. And, and in this movie, it just didn't feel like that. I don't know if it's because I didn't care about anybody in it, or um, whatever, or that you know the camaraderie didn't come off as camaraderie ish. 
um, maybe because I didn't have subtitles. <laughs> but yeah, I, I couldn't bring myself to care about these people as much as I did in in Carpenter's version, and I, and I can't put, can't put my finger on why. I I I, I kind of had the same feeling taking away from it. Like I didn't get invested in the cast so much. I think I think partly because it's a weird situation where you aren't really expecting things to go well in the Carpenter film, even probably the first time you see it. But with it, at least you don't know how it ends. Whereas with this film, we're watching basically the prequel that explains how everybody at this camp apparently died. So you kind of – you know everybody's dead or, or, or at least almost everybody must be dead by the end of this movie. So it's kind of hard to get invested in their survival at that point. Um, I feel like there's a little bit more antagonism built into this one. Like, like I feel like all the problems in Carpenter's film came from people sort of disagreeing with each other uh, on details – rather than like being set up to be sort of like ideologically antagonistic. You know, again, the Carrington effect. You know, Dr. Carrington is obviously at odds with our good guys in The Thing from Another World. Um, it's less obvious in this one, but you still have that sense of the, the lead doctor here being interested in the science above being interested in keeping everybody happy and healthy. Um, in, in Carpenter's film, everybody seems to be sort of like, in the same boat, and then the the fractures that occur occur pretty organically and randomly throughout the film, rather than being this big sort of showdown feeling. Um, and I think that might be part of it. It's like it, it does feel like there was a comrade, it was a natural sort of necessary togetherness in the Carpenter crew, and all the fractures there just sort of came up as they came up. Right. In this film, it really felt like okay, well, I need to spot who's going to be the problem, you know, and try and guess ahead of time who's going to you know cause the issues and. I don't know. It, it, it's a subtle thing. I, I feel like the feel of this film. I, I I actually I enjoyed watching this film. It was it was fun to watch it as a prequel to the Carpenter film. It was fun to see how they tried to play with that. And I thought the the, the cast was fine and and some of the stuff worked. But it really did feel like it, it. It did feel like it was almost sort of like trying to scrape up some sloppy seconds on some of the storytelling and some of the drama based on what worked in Carpenter and trying to refresh some of that in a way that didn't. Yeah, I think ultimately. Yeah, I mean, everybody working on it, or at least working on it in in like a a production capacity, was you know knew Carpenter's the thing pretty well. I mean, I read that they had like you know photos of it around all over the place so they could match the match the backgrounds and stuff, match the uh, the set rather, and and they did a really good job of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's like they 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 did not. So, something something about it that they they just didn't capture the the, the soul of the movie. Yeah. I, I guess um, I, I was feeling by the time we got to late in the film and mm-hmm. the sort of two faced creature had like was on you know running amok. It became more like you know running from velociraptors in yeah. in in Jurassic Park. You know, it was, it was almost like a little bit of like adventure combat sort of thing rather than the constant creeping paranoia and terror of the carpenter film like it was it was less uh being horrified by the impossibility of trusting those around you and more about oh no i hope the monster doesn't you know yeah, come through that door yeah exactly like the the carpenter's version it's it's a monster movie but it's not like a monster movie where the monster chases you around and it kills some people it, it was just a, it was a very different kind like the horror itself you know came from not like being stalked by by the fact that you know you're always being stalked because it could be anybody and yeah. and in this one yeah it was a lot more of a conventional um, 
controls sort of thing. Also, with the, with the with the design of the of the things, they somebody really liked the fact that a mouth uh, that a stomach or you know an entire torso turned into a mouth because that was on every single one. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. It was it was it was a real recurring design theme. Is yeah, like a, Which, a a giant vagina dentata thing coming out of what had previously been uh, some other part of a body. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I mean, the designs were pretty good. Apparently, there was a bunch of practical design that either didn't make it or was replaced or, or, or added onto by CGI, so there's a lot of really cool, uh, pictures and videos of, uh, models out there, so that was pretty good, but at the same time, it still came off as just, uh, just really kind of CGI-y. Yeah, that, it's interesting, because yeah. it's, it's, I was, I was really wondering how it's going to feel, because I, I assumed going in that we'd be seeing a lot of CGI, yeah. Uh, and 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 to their credit, the CGI is generally quite good. I mean, it's it, it wasn't done sloppily. It wasn't done lazily. You know, it, I mean, it was done. It, it's a, it's a three year old movie done by like a like an at least an Academy Award winning. Um, because the, it's, the studio won an Academy Award for the effects they did for uh, Starship Troopers. Ah. So yeah, I mean, this is and this is more it, refined than those were at that point. And I remember Starship. Yeah, because that was nineteen ninety six. That yeah. was twenty. Oh shit, fifteen years ago from this. Wow. Yeah, and, and I remember not being like totally convinced by the Starship Trooper stuff, but you know, it was good enough. It was good yeah. enough, and it was sort of of the time. And yeah, and so the the CGI in this, it all looks good. It it, it, it at times it never looks quite right. Like there's some nice. Uh, Translucent, slimy creature. When the creature is like hiding under that shack or whatever, and sends a tentacle through the yeah. dude's chest and pulls him under, uh, it looks like CGI. It looks like good CGI. It doesn't look you know cheap or false, but there's that there's like this palpable difference. You know, it just you can tell that this is something that's doing some physics modeling instead of actually. Yeah, there's not a thing effect. down there. Yeah, the lighting, there's, as much as the translucence looks great, it's still sort of modeled shadows rather than an actual. Yeah. Like, it, it looks a little too good. Like, all the details yeah. are a little too there in the texture and whatnot yeah. in a way that wouldn't show up on camera if you were just actually getting specular highlighting off a big pile of actual goo uh, shoved under a dark place or something. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's it's also one of those things where it's like, you know, at the end of the day, that at least some of these scenes, people are just yelling at a hanging tennis ball. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, 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 sometimes it's hard to get away from that. Well, but. one of the things is the freedom that comes with it. I think there's, there's a mobility to the CGI effects that isn't there for trying to do the same thing with practical effects yeah. that, that lets them do more things that reveal more of the weaknesses of it. Like, I, I feel like to some extent, if you were just using the CGI for a real static shot, Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you wouldn't have to worry about as much of the tell of the physics not feeling quite right or the movement seeming a little bit off because you just wouldn't even attempt that in the first place with the practical effect because you couldn't make that practical effect fly through the air and jump around like that uh, in the same sort of way. So they, they, they can try to do a much more dynamic scene with a CGI, but then you get all the, the weight of trying to make all those extra details look good and it just – it never quite sits perfectly uh, but still, all in all, like, it wasn't annoying. It wasn't insulting to watch the CGI. It's just like it made me think fondly of the Carpenter film and be happy when there were – because there were some actual nice, goopy, crap, practical effects in this too. Doing the autopsy of the burned creature, that was all yeah. actual stuff there. And that that was great. That that felt nice and yeah. nice and this, really gross and real. Uh, the scene where like the split – like the, the, the like inverted 
thing like merges with the other guy to become like the split face thing. Yeah. Uh, the scene where like their bodies and like heads are being intertwined, that was practical. Uh, like I, I assume like, you know, their, their faces being intertwined with CGI, but like both, like one of those things was an actor and one of those things was a robot. Yeah. Or like a robot puppet. Yeah. I felt like the actual, the, the, the key face melt moment when it was first happening, that was struck me as like the most conspicuously not quite great CGI. Just cause like, I mean, I'm sure it's a hard as hell one to do, but it, 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 the compositing did not quite. No, uh, sell I, it to me. I I have to say the least convincing CGI in this was the uh, was the microscope, where they were looking at like the cells <laughs> of the alien creature taking yeah. over the other cells. It's like just not even close. But it was a nice callback to the shitty Atari yeah. graphics thing that Wilford Brimley did in, in the Carpenter film. So I, yeah, I I'm wondering like, how much of that was just purposefully not making it do that, just as like a callback to the also not very realistic uh, simulation that Wilford Brimley ran. <laughs> I enjoyed the callback enough that I think I just didn't think about it too hard. I was like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. You're doing the assimilation thing. Uh, and this time we're actually looking through a microscope instead of staring at an Atari. Uh, I do want to say this film officially pasts, uh, at least by the narrowest of margins, the Bechtel test. Uh, you know, I thought it did too, but the, I, I was actually thinking that during the conversation where the two women in the movie are talking. Um, but they definitely mention like the thing being some other dude. Well, and, and yeah, so so here's here's my two things. So so the straight face interpretation is mm-hmm. Kate is looking out the the window at the stars and thinking about alien life because they know there's alien life now. Oh, and, you're talking about oh, I, I that's I didn't I was thinking of, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was thinking and, of conversation. And, and this is like in in the bunk room and the Norwegian lady is laying on her bunk and and says to Kate something like, "Oh, hey, having having trouble sleeping? It's always hardest on the first night." And uh and and Kate's like, yeah, I just yeah, I'll never look at them the same again, and and so they don't talk about a dude. It's two ladies talking about something other than a dude in the story. So so that that's sort of like there's your narrow qualification for Alison Bechtel's uh, rubric. Uh, but but this gets complicated because I'm not totally sure that the Norwegian lady was still the Norwegian lady at that point. Later, she's definitely not. She grows one of those uh, torso mouths that we were just yep. talking about. Uh, but it's possible even just now she was already infected and she was already uh, the creature, in which case it's it's not two women having a conversation with something. It's a woman having a conversation with a lurking horror from another planet. And I'm not sure if that counts or not. You know, that's that's a hard one to divine exactly. I don't think she was the thing at that point yet. I don't really think so either. But I kind of almost because this to one, be. this one doesn't take it like the. I, I I think this was like a learning experience for it before the Contrapreneur movie because this one didn't really take its time when it was in. It 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 was a lot more prone to just attacking shit than it was to you know just like hiding out and waiting for an opportune moment. Like you know it it, it tricks some people, but you know when you when uh, what do you call it the 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 oh, what is her name. Um, the, the the one that isn't Ramona Flowers, uh, the Norwegian lady. Yeah, the Norwegian lady, where she turns into the thing. Like you know, she does it in like you know, sort of a uh, you know, in a secluded sort of part of the part of the base. But then, uh, what do you call it? Uh, she, you know, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She runs for it, and the thing chases her. It's like, well, yeah. now everybody knows there's an alien monster here. Yeah, which seems like it would have been better to just like you know maybe. Yeah. Although at that point, if it knows that its cover is blown as that lady, just turning back into her wouldn't work so well because uh, everybody's yeah. already a little bit paranoid about the whole situation. Uh, the um, oh, the scene where they're—I actually really like the scene where they're just drilling into it. That was really suspense-y in a way that um, 
what do you call it? Didn't annoy me surprisingly. Yeah. Just where they're slowly, slowly drilling into it, and then the drill falls. Oh shit! It. Moment. Yeah, and pull it out, and there's your there's your core sample. Uh, and I like I liked the collective sense of embarrassment at that moment too. Like everyone's like, "Oh fuck, really, <laughs> really?" You just went right into it. Come on, buddy. Um, yeah, and and, yeah, and and right in there actually is right when they're having once again we get just like this little vestigial wisp of the core. Is this safe or not? Discussion from the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just like, you know, uh, under the conditions it's safe, well, yes, and then the, hey, don't contradict me aside, you know, in the other room. No no explicit acknowledgement of extraterrestrial contagions or anything at that point, just just that tiny little fraction. Um, and then the thing just bursts out of its ice cube. Yeah, um, upward. Yeah, which was like, that's like, obviously you did the scene with CGI and, and it's Yeah, fine, the chunks, yeah, like the, the ice chunks coming off of it were very, very... Yeah, very clearly. But then that sets us up for the vacated ice cube chest that we see yep. uh, in the all three movies. Yep. Yeah. Um. There was um. Oh, there was a fake out on the helicopter. Oh, did you yeah. see that fake out coming? <laughs> uh, I I I didn't I didn't call it, but I was wondering because like it it it. it it, it was so conspicuously playing with our expectations that I, I was like, I don't know if they're rewarding me for having seen the film or fucking with me for having seen the Carpenter film. But I did like that, that the guy who was like, had been sick and then he's sort of like rocking back and forth with the, Oh, here we go. He's going to burst into a monster. And then instead it's the other dude who's being all comforting. It's like, Oh, it's going to be all right. You know, we'll get you split my face in half. Yeah. So it was a, it was a nice move. I, I approve of that decision they made there. Yeah. I also like the, uh, there was like a, a little bit of subtleness to the effect because you know, when the guy lowers his head and the other guy's like, it'll be fine. You see like a crack and just like part of his skull just slides down a bit and like some red appears on his face. Yeah. And then it holds that for just like really briefly. And then it opens up and monster shit. But you know, there was just a, that, that yeah, like just long enough to be like, wait, something is actively wrong, but it's not wrong enough to be. Yeah. It was a really nice, you know what it made me think of, uh, was the vampire lady from one of the short films in VHS. Yeah. VHS. Yeah. yeah, yeah we're right. sort of like all of a sudden your forehead's a little bit wider than it should be. Mm-hmm. And what's going on here? And it's then, like, yeah. is that the lighting or, you know, was that yeah. a sound effect? Yeah, it's- yeah, I will say I, I remember actually really thinking that was a great little touch. I'd forgotten how nicely they delivered that moment. That was a really solid little uh, creep out uh, slow play of that that move. Yeah. Um, there was a oh, shit. Where are my notes? Um Crap. <laughs> good point. Good, good, good point. I, I, I agree entirely. Um, oh, you know, there was a, there's a little bit more of Dr. Carrington 2.0 uh, mm-hmm. before the chopper scene where they're looking at the, cause the monster managed to eat a guy and they're looking at it and, uh, and he's doing sort of like a, yes, a man died, but science, science sort of, sort of thing. That's not a quote, but that was very much the tone of it. Yeah. Um, and a little bit later in that scene, uh, they're, they're, they've cracked it open and they're looking at it and they find what looks like the guy starting to be digested. And he's, he says, you know, it appears it was digesting him, you know, fascinating. And then he gets this defensive look on his face and he's like, it is fascinating. <laughs> that was, that, 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 it felt at least more self-aware than the Dr. Carrington bullshit from, from another world uh, in that, like the guy was aware that he was sort of in this position of <laughs> Being like, yes, I know this is terrible, but that's really kind of a, um, an amazing thing. I mean, don't 
don't give me that look. It's 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 some stunning science, motherfuckers. So, you know, I'm still not sure what. So the what was the thing? So when they find the guy who's like halfway into it with like the amniotic sac, that's the guy the thing was making. Yeah, I think that's the implication. Is like we're supposed to. We, th- we well, think he was to- digesting him, but it turns out it was making the Or dude. possibly we're supposed to, you know, maybe maybe as students of the Carpenter film, we're supposed to be aware that it's generating dudes. Although the Carpenter film wasn't super clear about this. Uh, the short story was. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a nice redirection of the idea. Oh, well, maybe it's digesting him. And then we find out later that, oh, no, no, it was creating him. And, and Kate, I think, has a quick throw line there to support that, which is like it almost looks like new tissue. Yeah, um, that's right. But then she also finds the whatever the titanium bracket from his broken leg that wasn't in his leg, and what is it not doing there? Well, it's because it's generating new tissue. It's it already digested the version of him that was real and had that pin in it. That uh, see through skin effect. They um, I they they also did that on the uh, the pilot episode of Fringe, and um, yeah, I love that effect. I love that we could do that now. Yeah, it's that a great, it it's looks a great look. not terrible. And that it's not like you know it's it, it, it's still CGI, but it look it looks good. It, it, um, oh, apparently um, somebody who works on the show now works on Helix, that um, which is that show about the Antarctic base with that mystery disease spreading. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, I, I watched a couple of episodes for it. It was it was simultaneously boring and anxiety inducing. <laughs> so I watched uh, we, 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 a few years ago. Me and Angela watched. Uh, uh, at least a, a short season, maybe a season and a half of some show that was like a epidemiology drama based in Canada. It was like a guy who worked in a sort of Canadian version of a CDC crisis lab or something research lab. Uh, so they, they they had they had this tricky thing where they wanted to be able to have human drama that didn't all take place inside a submarine, uh, and yet there's like you know, major epidemiological threats out there. So it had to sort of slow plate over a few, few episodes, every disease so that it wasn't just literally, Oh, there's another plague every episode. They have to do these sort of short arcs. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of, I, it, it wasn't bad. I wish I could remember the name of it. It was, it was a weird thing where it was simultaneously not fantastic, but also uh, kind of a good time. It was a little bit more serious face than house. At least was it called respect. regenesis? Uh, Oh, maybe. Okay. It was, uh, <laughs> it's that memorable, apparently. But uh, but yeah, if you found a show about a Canadian epidemiology lab, it's probably that one. Um, Genetic crime investigation. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> that's. <laughs> can we do those yet? Can we can we make uh, genetic crimes yet? Oh, I made a genetic crime with your mom. Oh, uh, burn! Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> oh, so here's the thing. Uh, when, when, when the Norwegian lady splits into freaky alien mouth and starts trying mm-hmm. to eat Kate, a uh, guy who shows up with the blowtorch, this is a subtlety uh, that probably goes away when you don't have any of the subtitles. But that guy is Lars, who is conspicuously the guy who doesn't actually speak any English, apparently. Yeah. Um, so like that's sort of established that he's almost sort of like which I, I thought was great because that's setting it up for uh, you kind of know the guy is going to have to play into the film later on. That's Chekhov's non. <laughs> He's the last speaker. girl. <laughs> well, or something because that yeah, like why would you make a point of pointing out that this guy can't speak English when you're already bothering to mix up English and Norwegian unless and it's important? And so yeah, he becomes sort of like this little bit of a character as a result. 
Um, now this film, this film also does not have a McCready. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it's fair to say. They mentioned that they tried to model Kate off of uh, Ellen Ripley, which I don't really see too well. There's elements of it, actually. I noticed I noticed what felt like more Alien and Aliens references uh, in sort of the structure and the character, uh, more in the laugh half, last half of the film. But uh, I can see aspects of that. Um, but yeah, she's, she, yeah, Ripley and McCready are different characters for sure. And Kate is definitely not a straight up Ripley clone either. Yeah. Um, and it, it feels like it's almost, they disseminated some of the McCready-ness out across a couple different character components. And I feel like maybe sort of Kate plus Lars equals yeah. something close to a McCready. Yeah, uh, that, could, that could be. Um, I mean, the thing is, they they explicitly tried to not step on too many toes of the original yeah, which movie. Is fair. I, I, yeah, I don't consider this yeah. a failure of this. The way I think it's sort of a conspicuous problem with the the thing from another world. Because yeah, this movie obviously doesn't want to just literally be a rehash of the Carpenter film. It wants to complement it, so that's fine. But it's interesting to see structurally. After I felt like I was staring conspicuously at that absence in the in the older film. Um. Gosh, what else? Uh, they sure did have a character who was conspicuously the 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 replacement for Childs, because you know the I think there's two black guys in this movie, and he was one of them, and he was very much like you know the gruff doesn't take any kind of shit uh, kind of guy, and I thought that was that was a little strange how they would want to, you know do that the way they did. Yeah. Just sort of bringing back a, uh, a character, um, like that. Uh, although he didn't die. He wasn't the first guy to die, which I was so glad because there was a, there was a shot where, uh, you know, somebody goes down some like scary corridor and then there's, there's, uh, there's a cut to him going down a different scary corridor. And you know, if there's two scary corridors, one of them's going to be a fake out. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's not his. And I'm just like, hooray, the, you know, the black guy lives a little longer. Oh, that was was echo from, uh, Mr. Echo from lost. I, I, I watch Lost. Oh, uh, maybe you do sometime. Um, I've seen him in a couple other things too, but I was trying to remember why he seemed as familiar as he was. Uh, but yeah, he was in that a bunch. He was in like a couple dozen episodes at least of that, um, in which he was very, very not, not didn't talk a lot in in Lost, at least not early on. Um, so him being sort of relatively silent in this film, I guess, made sense and and felt familiar. Uh. I, so uh, there, there, there was an exchange that made me laugh too at one point where someone was like, oh, he's got something to hide. And, and the guy who I think was Kate's American friend dude was like, what are you, an asshole? It was, like just, it was somewhat less dignified than other possible takes, but it also felt like it was tapping into some of the sort of like gruffness of the Carpenter film. Uh, I, liked, I liked that they had to come up with something to do for like test for humanness. Like it felt like they needed to. That's an obvious thing to try and go with narratively. You you would mm-hmm. think the characters were dumb if it never occurred to them to try and figure out some way to distinguish humanness. Yeah. But they also obviously didn't want to do the exact same thing as the Carpenter uh, film. Well, they did. They 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 did half of it, which was that there was going to be you know like a science based test that you know they would figure it out you know for good and then the lab gets blown up so yeah. they can't do that, which is roughly the same thing happened in Carpenter's movie. Yep. But in this movie, they just went with a considerably stupider plan. 
Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because like I, it, I liked the novelty of it, and I think in a sense it wasn't a stupid plan as a plan to spring because it was based on so 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 she finds some stuff on the floor that we don't really know what's going on until later she points out oh I think it was fillings uh, and it becomes oh okay so the thing can't imitate inorganic material it can't like it can't process genetically the presence of fillings that were added after the fact just like it can't add that titanium brace or whatever from the absorbed right. guy's leg so that's okay that's fine and, and at that point you immediately shine a flashlight in everybody's mouth and anybody doesn't have any fillings okay that's sketchy and it's 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 clever it's not a bad first pass so i, I it, like it depends that. on the fact that everybody has fillings well yeah that's one of the things it's like yeah the one guy's like you know well so i'm gonna get burnt to death because i floss which yeah <laughs> you know, which i thought was a good line but still at least it's it's something you can sort of identify definitively who does have fillings and say, okay, we don't need to worry about these people right now. So it wasn't terrible. But there is the question is, if you're the thing and you know this is a decisive factor, uh, why can't you just gin up some dark spots on your your your, your fake teeth maybe yeah. to try and – but, you know, element of surprise. Maybe there's not time to pull that off immediately. I don't know. We never really get a good answer for whether the thing can do subtle things. Like we never we never get a picture of whether it can make a minor adjustment – uh, on the fly, we only ever see it sort of exploding into alienness right. uh, at, at, under moments of duress. So there's no real, I guess, answer to that question. Maybe it gets set in place until it decides to really wildly unleash. But, but yeah, I feel like that's a a thing. I was really expecting a filling check to lead to some sort of horrible mouth tentacle explosion. Yeah, there, so. that was. I, I was really looking forward to just somebody's just like mouth devouring something. You just tentacles coming out of there, but no. Nope. Not a Which lot of is okay, because, like, I mean, setting you up for some tension that doesn't get resolved is okay, too, but yeah, I, I kind of, that's but where I yeah, assumed it was going. The thing, that, like, one of the scariest moments in, you know, Carpenter's thing is when, you know, they're doing the blood test, and one of the guys starts transforming, even though he's, like, tied to a chair, and, you know, this is a bad time to actually, you know, find out that someone's the thing that, um... So I, I was hoping for something like that, just like a very, you know, close circumstances. Everybody's in the same room and then it things out. Yeah. But, eh, you know. Yep. Um, the third act, the fucking third act, when they just go exploring the spaceship. Yeah. Well, and there, um, there was, there's a couple little notes before there that I want to mention, too. Because um, we talked about Alien and Aliens. Right uh, and the and and the Ripley parallel and whatnot. There there is at one point uh, a detached arm like got ripped off or cut off or something. I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly what happened there, but either way, an arm comes off of a thing and it grows some little finger tentacles and starts running around. Yeah, uh, and, and that's very face hugger. Oh um, yeah, it even latches on to somebody's yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, latches on to the red bearded dude. Mm-hmm. Latches on to his mouth, and, and we even like come back around here to Kate. Uh, with with one of the flamethrowers and she comes across that guy in sort of like a moment of pause after some crazier mm-hmm. action and we see him sitting there with it on his mouth continuing to sort of burrow into his face and his you know one of his eyes is basically bulging and gone the other one mm-hmm. is staring at her and you've got this sort of pleading for death sort of thing and mm-hmm. then she burns it and that that's very very aliens there's a scene uh, almost exactly like that in alien yeah the, it was deleted though yeah, deleted scene with tom scarrett and uh, mm-hmm. another guy are being sort of absorbed and eggified 
because uh, I was still the the notion when that scene was made in Alien. Yeah, so it's like really, really strong echoes there for me of that and the sort of decision to obviously this person can't be saved. Obviously, death is better than what's happening to them. Let's do the terrible thing and you know yeah. emulate this uh, dying comrade. Um, so that felt like a really, really strong parallel to me. Um, like that had to be knowing. Um, and then, yeah. And then, yeah. Jurassic Park wrapped her in the kitchen, burning two head and chasing him around. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, uh which sets that up for the, to be found by the, by the, the, the McCready and co in the next film previous. You film. know, once you realize that, Every other movie or TV episode ever has somebody knocking over one of those food tray things, like the uh, like the, the the square thing on wheels that's supposed to hold food trays in like a restaurant or a kitchen. Yeah. Once you realize that kid gets knocked over in like basically every movie, you can't unsee it. I, I cannot stop seeing that happen. Maybe it's yep. the kind of movies I watch, but. Like every other episode of Law and Order, literally, somebody knocks over one of those things while they're chasing the cops. Well, think, the cops are chasing them, rather. I think it's just an easy prop to, to set up and knock over, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's light. You don't have to be strong to knock it, it over, it clatter, but it also makes it a big good. mess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Someone should do a supercut of uh, those trays being knocked over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I wish I knew how to do supercuts. But yeah, so I they, mean, they end up chasing Dr. Mm-hmm. Carrington. Uh, he gets away in the ice crawler, and at that point, they're sure that he must be the monster. Uh, and so they go after him. And, and I didn't quite catch it at first, but the line was like, yeah, he's got nowhere to go. And then Kate was like, no, no, he does. Uh, because, oh, right, the spaceship. Right, I guess that does still exist. Okay. Um, I was thinking, where's he going to go? Uh, McMurdo? I don't think he has the range. So, anyway, the spaceship. The spaceship. I. Oh, you know what? That was actually uh, when they landed with an airplane at the base in uh, the thing from another world. I was just like, wait a second. When were helicopters invented? Um, because, you know, you'd think you'd do that with a helicopter. but And then I realized that helicopters are considerably more contemporary invention than I thought they were. Yeah, yeah. They're actually newish. Like, I, yeah, there's a reason we associate helicopters with, yeah, like like Vietnam-era stuff as significant parts of the, the military landscape. Yeah. And I also like the little skis on the, the wheels on the plane from yeah. a thing from another world. That's, that's kind of neat. Yeah, they had all sorts of planes back then. Seaplanes, snow planes. Now we just use our jetpacks to get everywhere. It's yep. really a lost art of yep. making airplanes. That's, that's another little thing from the story, actually, just to briefly, since we're going to talk about UFO, mm-hmm. let's talk about UFO. In, in, the, in the John Campbell short story, um, instead of Wilford Brimley building a, a goofy-looking little miniature UFO in the basement of the shack, apparently Blair uh, had been left alone in the story as not an issue and had been a monster, like you know, for a week, and had spent it building some sort of crazy spherical power supply that was just absorbing neutrons as a power supply, um, and then also an anti gravity pack. And the idea was that if it had gotten its chance to pull it off, it would have strapped on this anti gravity pack and basically leapt to South America in one gigantic anti gravity uh, jump, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so, so Wilford Brimley building a dumb little UFO was like sort of structurally a callback to that, even though it was so much more goofier looking, I think, than, uh, 
Yeah, it was like a super deformed UFO <laughs> from anime. It, like yeah. you, you expect two big eyeballs to open up on it. Yeah, in retrospect, I kind of wish... I mean, I get the idea that the guy was working with like nothing to make it, and so in a sense, mm-hmm. it might just be... It would have to look like a ridiculous, janky thing. But I think it might have been interesting if Carpenter had made the attempt to build a craft uh, of some sort a little bit more actually plausible once they got around to busting into Blair's shack. Um, just because it's an interesting little element from the story that, oh, right. this was really almost... You almost let the actual threat go by because you were busy worrying about other things. So, anyway, but the UFO, you wanted to talk about exploring the UFO in the third act. Yeah, so, um, so you know, they, they, they get down there, the hatch is conveniently open, um, and uh, so, so they get into the UFO, and some things happen, but then, basically, uh, Kate encounters what looks like a giant 3D game of Tetris. Yeah, it's like just glowing big, there, like, like voxel display. I was wondering what they're yeah. going to do with it, and then it turns out nothing. It's nothing, like yeah. An alien so, interface. So what that was originally was also a scene very, very much reminiscent of Alien, where there was supposed to be a mummified alien in there. Ah. Of like, and uh, you know, they they did all the effects for it. They did, you know, you you. I guess we'll put it into the the post uh, for this. You know, they they did all the practical effects for this alien. It was cool. It looked kind of like um. Well, it looked like a butt, um, but with like three bulgy eyes. Yay, and, three eyes. Yeah. The whole implication was that the thing had to turn into that, a, a, a member of that creature, so it could pile the ship. So the, the ship itself wasn't the thing's. So it, oh. it, it hijacked it um, from a different kind of alien. So there's supposed to be a second kind of alien in this yeah. movie. But I, for some reason, they scrapped all of that and just went with the... Um, with like that weird Tetris display that nothing happens about. Oh, that's disappointing. That that seems like that would have been really neat. I, and that, yeah. that sort of echoes some of the themes from Alien, from the Alien franchise at least as well. I mean, that's explored mm-hmm. a lot more in the comics. The, yeah. but but I, I guess Prometheus maybe touches some of that. The idea of the space jockey and whatnot. I, I really why have I not seen that film yet? I got to sit down and watch it. Oh yeah, no, it, 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 the it, it, yeah it absolutely because okay, okay. yeah that had that for a long time before. You know, before that, like Alien and Aliens had come out, and there was a bunch of stuff in the yeah. comics that really explored the idea of the space jockey yeah. as this other alien race that was, in its own way, actually much more of an existential threat to humanity than the xenomorphs were, because it was like scheming uh, its own, you know, uh, terraforming project, whereas the aliens were just incredibly well adapted it's, predators. It, it wouldn't be a spoiler to say that Prometheus is basically about the space jockeys yeah. who are called engineers. I mean, that they that's like halfway through the first act, I think. You know, they go looking for the engineers who engineered humanity and, you know. Um, Anyway, but yeah, it was supposed to be very much reminiscent of the space jockey scene, which is weird because when they they originally, like, get down there to the ship and starts, like, you know, uh, panning onto the ship, I I couldn't really figure out what was happening on screen. And so I thought it was, like, that same sort of, like, design, but it turned out I was just looking at the negative space and the ship ship was the (laughs) thing I wasn't looking at. Oh, Um, Another, yeah. another aliens-ish note. Just this is a, this is a little bit more of a stretch, but the way they get into the ship, uh, Kate doesn't go in through the uh, the hatch. She's standing on the exterior when a bunch of like flaps open up, and so she just like yeah. she's holding on and then falls in, which is very much Newt falling into the trash compactor or not trash compactor, but sort of sewage level thing. Uh, or that, like. uh, that 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 quick scene in the 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 opening animation to Ducktales when they're running away from the fire that's making all the right. stairs flaps. That is probably the intended reference. I think that's probably the illusionary footing of this film. Yeah, if you listen closely, you can actually uh, hear Kate going. Woo-hoo. 
three of the Norwegians are named Hualur and Dur. So, um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have, honest to God, forgotten how this movie ends. Oh, okay. So it was they, like the third act was so unexceptional. I have forgotten how this movie. Well, ends. We, we we get yet another flash of aliens where we've got uh, Kate uh, trapped in. Uh, a narrow corridor with a grenade and a monster, although unlike an alien, she doesn't blow herself up in the process, but it's very much, it feels like, you know, you always were an asshole Gorman sort of moment uh, where she's, cause she runs into Dr. Uh, Dr. Carrington monster dude, uh, who is just like his face and vestiges of his torso. Yeah, no, and, yeah. at this point it, it just looks like it's flying his face on like a banner. Uh, like yeah. it's a standard bear and the standard, you know, happens to be, you know, the dude's face. Cause yeah. it doesn't, it, 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 there's no reason for his face to be on there yeah. except for the fact that it just hasn't gotten to that part. Yeah. Yet. And then that, that way, I, I guess that's the moment that they fundamentally established that he is in fact a monster and not just a zombie looking affectless, actual perfectly healthy yeah. Carrington, even though he sort of died off camera. Um, but it, you, you could, I guess you could argue it's a little bit of a, it could be kind of a God Emperor of Dune thing too, where the the face is at this point entirely vestigial, but it's still there on the front also, of this monster body. Yeah, it also reminds me of that Doctor Who character that's just a bunch of skin stretched out onto a, oh, uh, yeah, like, a yeah. like a framework. Yeah, what's her face? Like the last, she was like the last human or something. Oh, something like that. Yeah, because yeah. way in the future, and and yeah. Anyway, so so this monster chases her tight corridor alien ship. Um, she has a grenade because she brought some grenades with her. Um, with because the grenades were very, very explicitly shown to exist yes. by Lars, the guy who doesn't talk. Yep. Uh, so there, that that was sort of the payoff. Okay, let's bring Lars in as a guy who is going to manage to be an important community character, even though he's literally incapable of speaking her language. Uh, and then he wandered off and apparently got killed, but didn't really get killed because we see him in the epilogue. Um, which that all felt sort of like, I felt like it was just like we really got to set up the transition to the second movie. Really, really uh, tacked on. Yeah, it really didn't feel like it had a whole lot of meaningful heft to it. But so she she's she's cornered by the alien. She managed to get the the grenade back that was on the far side of the corridor from her. She chucks it in him. Boom goes Doctor Monster. The UFO engines apparently just sympathetically powered down at this point. I guess like maybe he was tied into it telepathically or something, and once he's dead, it just knows to shut back down. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of yeah, why not about the, yeah. about like the ending now that I'm starting to remember. And I guess it. maybe those engines that were powering up melted the ice above so that you could actually see the the ice above. But you know what we didn't ever get here? A ring of Norwegians standing around above the 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 UFO. It's true. Yeah. So like like for everything else they did, <laughs> nor was there a camera at any point. Yeah. Considering so, that what did they say there was something like uh, they, nine hours like of nine footage. hours of footage. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's kind of disappointing that they didn't manage to sync that up, even though they had obviously sort of lovingly tried to put in a bunch of setup callbacks here. Uh, so that all happens, all that bullshit, and then her and the other American dude uh, come back out and. Uh, <laughs> and and of course they usually so what do we do now says one of them uh and it's like the back of the bus uh thing in the graduate where they both just like slowly get you know they they, they go from being relieved to being concerned but yeah. then you know uh dustin hoffman doesn't turn into a monster in the yeah. end of the graduate although neither does this guy was that supposed to be ambiguous on purpose 
or are we supposed to be totally convinced that she, you know, she nailed him? She she figured it out. Well, here's the thing: because I did I did notice the thing she points out, but it was a real subtle thing, and I was wondering if it was intended to be subtle or or not. There's a shot earlier when they're on their way out to the UFO, where in fact the camera does briefly bring into focus just for like you know a second or something. You can see his gold earring in his left ear. Um, so I think this was supposed to be a. Uh, unambiguous if you if you caught the the details he definitely had a gold earring in his left ear and well we know that the monster doesn't do that sort of thing so at that moment i'm saying to myself oh okay so this is actually a human being and then there is conspicuously uh if at this point you're looking for it conspicuously no earring in his ear in that aftermath and so we're allowed to notice that if we catch it at the same time that she's noticing it. And then she mentions his earring and he reaches up to his right ear. So it's like a double giveaway that, you know, he doesn't even know, guess which ear his earring is supposed to be. Oops, I must have lost it somewhere in the fight from. Uh, so then when she torches him, I believe that, like, we're intended to be able to say, oh, yeah, for sure. She knows that. But he why is- didn't he, like, transform in, like, one last, what do you call it? you know, explosion of tentacles and stuff. He just stays human and gets roasted. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe he was actually trying to play human psychology as he had figured it out so far and just guessed wrong and thought she would be a little bit more sympathetic or a little slower to act. Um, But I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I mean, it, it does seem like the fact that the film put these things in there so that you could catch it but didn't necessarily broadcast them it might be something where they intended it to be like to feel a little bit like is she just being paranoid? And then if you go back and want to, you know, watch again for yeah. the details, you'd be like, oh no, okay, I see what the answer is. Turns out, you know, Harrison Ford was an android. Um, but uh, oh, yeah, are you talking yeah. about uh, Air Force One? Yes, yes, Air Force okay, One. Okay, yeah. reason, the first android president. Uh, it turns out that the bad guys were actually good guys because they were trying to stop Skynet from taking over the world. Um, Really confusing movie. Yeah, it's really, but but rich thematically, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's and, my take. Uh, I, I, th- I think yeah. we're supposed to know that she knows for right. sure that he is not, yeah. dude. But I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah, and then right after that, you know, she 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 gets into the driver's seat of the the the, the snowmobile thing, the the big cube on treads, and then just like a look goes over her face, and then that would have been the perfect thing to end the movie on, and it, they sort of did, but they didn't. Yeah, because they, they they cut yeah. the credits, but mm-hmm. then and we but start the getting thing the is about that look is you know it's. I can't think of any way because they they disabled the communication stuff. That's the only working. Um, snowmobile uh there's there's no way for her to get out there's nowhere for her to go and she doesn't know how to drive to any other base as far as i can tell yeah so like everybody's dead um and and yeah so is so it's supposed to be an open ending but we're uh, do, do we just assume that she starves to death i kind of i kind of have to assume that she dies just because i don't know what the out is but at the same mm-hmm. time it's so pointedly left there not so much as her actively meditating on her impending death so much as her sitting there in a little bit of shell shock that yeah we don't really get a we don't get a sense of direction for the character emotionally from there and i think it actually would have been interesting if they had decided to commit on that and said hey okay well she definitely dies, and here's you know an epilogue of her, you know, processing yeah. that somehow. I uh, the whole time I thought that she would end up being like the body they find with the slit wrists and throat. Yeah, 
but no, they which, just which yeah. they okay. So uh, so so let's talk about the the mm-hmm. the interstitial shots in the credits. So the credits roll, but then we get several shots uh, setting up the transition to the Carpenter film, where we get a helicopter landing back at the the Norwegian base, mm-hmm. and it finds the two faced Chris monster in the snow where they've they've torched it down, and then we uh, get a shot of the slit wrist frozen. Blood Razor guy who we talked about from the Carpenter film. Who I don't know who this is. I don't know. Who he was this is. the uh, the English um, or the the, the 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 English radio operator. Oh, okay. So the one who's English so, and has doesn't so that really just stand out to me. Sometime anyway. when we weren't looking, or maybe yeah. we blinked during the scene where it did happen. Uh, and no, then, no, no. It was it was it definitely happened uh, off screen okay. um, while they were, you know, while all the shit was going on, but they yeah. were exploring the spaceship. Um. And then, and then Lars. It's Lars again, the guy who can't talk. Is the? It turns out he is alive. He didn't get killed in that scene where we see him knocked over by something. Uh, and he's got a gun, and he's got the slit goggles. So he's our Nord from the beginning of the Carpenter film. And he sees a dog run off. He's like, "Start the fucking helicopter!" Uh, and they 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 get on and they chase and shoot and and that's where we come in on the Carpenter film. And who knows I think they actually used case. footage from the Carpenter film. I think the POV shots from the helicopter were the, were taken directly from that, but I'm really? not 100 yeah, percent. I, I, I couldn't tell. Like it seemed like it, it might have been, uh, but I almost kind of like wonder if it would be worth it to do that when you're replacing everything else with lookalike shots anyway. So yeah, I'm curious. Um, oh, and you know uh, the version I watched. You know the the, the credits now start rolling for realsies. Uh, there's music and there's some voiceover in Norwegian. Like, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a radio announcement or something. And then it abruptly cuts to new music swell and, and no voiceover. I wasn't sure if that was like weird on the version that I got or what was going on. Cause there's no, there were no subtitles on that bit of Norwegian that, uh, so I don't know if that even happened in your version of the credits. Oh, I, I don't think I made it that far <laughs> past the credits. I always just let him roll, even if I'm not paying much attention to him. I don't know. I like to, especially once you do something weird with your credits, I'm like, okay, fine. I'm just going to re- let him roll in case you do another weird thing right at the end or whatever. But, uh, yeah, you notice how just movies tend to have two sets of credits now. Was that, was it always like that? Uh, I, I no. Or is it more common say, now? <laughs> uh, it does seem like a thing that has become more of a thing. I, I get the impression credits is just a whole complicated weird thing. Like yeah, no, it, like yeah, the, the, the content and the order is yeah, it's such a big point of negotiation apparently uh, mm-hmm. among cast and production and and whatnot. But also yeah, the placement of the credits. I think part of it is it's become possibly more popular uh, at least by degree in 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 recent times to put the proper start sequence of the credits at the tail end of the film. You know, sometimes you'll actually get that stuff up front. Sometimes you'll actually get uh, almost everything at the end. And the point where the title first appearing isn't even the official credits title appearing. It's just a graphical effect, I guess. And the credits don't start until, you know, minute 117 after the film's over. And then right. you get, like, the pre, pre-title pre starring roles and, and and the title and the presented by and blah 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 and well, then a, you get the yeah. full credit crawl like so the you're, rolling credits yeah. yeah so you're basically literally getting the the beginning credit sequence before the end credit sequence but they're both at the end of the movie i think is part yeah, that, of why, where that sort of double double credit thing comes from but i'd, yeah, I'd like to know that more makes about sense. it um so let's see do we have a, oh um funny anecdote about the thing from another world 
So um, when they set, when they set it on fire, that's the first uh, first time they did that on on video successfully, setting a stuntman on fire. Oh, nice. And he looked um, like and, Crichton from Red Dwarf in that scene more than anything else to me. Yeah, yeah, it's clearly a di- completely different like uh, costume and a completely different you know um, actor from the guy who actually plays the thing. It's like shorter, stouter, but it's like you know, hey, whatever. It's on fire. That's uh, you pay attention to that. Um, but yeah, so he was wearing a helmet, um, and they were they pumped oxygen into the helmet so that you know he could not suffocate to death but they pumped 100% oxygen into the helmet <laughs> it's it's really surprising he's still alive well, or they, survived the shooting of that they, they hadn't uh, they hadn't you know blown up uh, whichever apollo it was was that apollo 8 or no was one of the earlier ones that terrible terrible disaster with one of the early i want to say one of the early apollo capsules uh was it the one with using, tom hanks on it yeah, yeah. <laughs> was one, well, one of the early ones, and they were using a pure oxygen mixture, and I think they basically had a fire in the capsule. Um, and I think this was early in the development of it. I don't think this happened out in space or anything. But yeah, it's, it's when they realized, oh, we can't use pure O2 for this stuff because we don't want to kill a bunch of people in space in a fire. Um, but that would have been, you know, a decade and. Something It'd been a hell of a special yeah. effect, though, if the thing under the helmet had combusted. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the 1950s, like, I would peg that as a time. It's like, well, the stuntman died because his head exploded from fire, but, but, but we the got footage it on is really good. Yeah. Yeah, the dailies look great. We're just going to run with it. Uh, like that, it, it, there's some scene from Wizards of Oz where, in theory, you can see someone hang themselves, uh, I think, accidentally from some gearing in the background of a shot or something. I don't know how much of that is actual. Like, I don't know if that's something that's actually literally on camera or was literally on camera maybe in the initial releases or if that's more just sort of in the weird cinematic urban legend territory. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Wizard of Oz, that's one we should definitely do. That's a freaky movie. Um, or, uh, what about the, the, the one with Firuza Balk, Return to Oz? Oh, yeah. Actually, that yeah. I, I remember that, that one actually scared. just legitimately scared the crap out of me as a kid. Also, speaking of Wizard of Oz, did you know that if you play uh, John Carpenter's The Thing and cue up literally any (laughs) Judas Priest album, they sync up? It's amazing. Any one of them. You know, I've always wanted to... I don't know how they did it. I've got a story I'm not even going to get into right now because it's too long and too depressing, but the very, very short pitch of it is... It ends with strangling... uh, What's her name to death? (laughs) (laughs) I forgot her name. The actress who plays Dorothy. Oh, uh, uh, Judy Garland? (laughs) Judy Garland, yes. That's how your story ends, I've decided. <laughs> okay. Um, I was trying to figure out if this is a... Uh, I can't remember her name now. So we're, te- we're doing the worst job of anecdotes right now. You know that other girl who died? You know, you know the thing the that happened? It was yeah. that. The funnier yeah. that I'm telling it. Well, I, I, I actually did an attempt to do the Dark Side of the Moon Wizard of Oz thing, but on purpose with my own like original EP that would work for three times in a row to match up with three times in a row doing the running length against Wizard of Oz in college. And I was, I was trying to develop this thing from scratch, you know, compose the, the music and get up the timing elements and whatnot. And then I lost it all like six weeks into a, a, a hard drive crash no. and uh, I've never gone back. Uh, but I've always, liked, 
I've always liked the idea of taking some famous album and writing an album that sits right on top of it that in no way directly references it, but just has the songs in the right key and tempo and structure that if you did play them side by side, they would actually play nice together. And uh, maybe at some point I'll do that with a Judas Priest uh, album uh, with a, a new album about John Carpenter's The Thing. The end. Yep. <laughs> Any final thoughts on, uh, on 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 these various things? All these things. It's a lot of things. There's stuff. We, we should watch the stuff next. Oh, yeah. I, I tried. I tried watching that. It, 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 no, let's not watch the stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think I have seen it. I think I didn't think it was very good. It's the one about I like killer ice cream, yeah. basically, or killer yeah. frozen yogurt. Is by the ice cream. It was made by the ice cream companies to to, to stifle the the flow of frozen yogurt into America. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I I think we 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 covered everything, and I also think we're not going to be doing very many fifties sci fi movies. Yeah, on this show. yeah, no, I, yeah. I'd be curious to hear like arguments for anything that was particularly good or particularly not going to drive me fucking crazy. Anyway, according to what we've talked about on this one, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not really an era I have a lot of interest in because uh, fairly or unfairly, I kind of, I think I'm going to tend to fixate on a lot of the weaknesses in, in the writing and just the sort of stilted structure of that almost stage play feel of, of some of the stuff with the dumb sort of exposition and the lack of uh, attempt to sort of seriously engage with the science of stuff. But, uh, but I could be wrong. Maybe there's some real gems out there. I guess uh, if you want to present a counter-argument on the Facebook page, uh, let me know what I should actually try and take a close look at. Um, but yeah, I don't see us jumping back into the 50s real soon with this one anyway, because uh, I feel like horror didn't really get... I mean, not to say that there wasn't horror stuff before like the mid-70s, but I feel like for you and me, at least... The mid seventies is about when the horror stuff that we're really have been traditionally interested in really found its feet. So, yep. so I think we'll probably jump back into to something else next fortnight. Although I don't know what. Have you had any? Specific yeah, we thoughts? haven't decided yet. Um, uh, somebody suggested uh, Suspiria, so maybe that. Oh, you know, I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Someone was just talking about something else to me uh, the other day too. Uh, oh shit. Anyway, somebody told me there was a movie I should watch. Uh, so maybe I'll remember who it was and ask him what it was. I don't think that's right. About, yeah. Doesn't sound right. Yeah, it sounds pretty plausible. <laughs> uh, something from last year that they thought was really good. But uh, whatever. Right, well, we'll figure that out. Uh, <laughs> if you uh, haven't given us a rating or a review on iTunes, if you could go do that, that'd be wonderful. Those keep slowly yeah. creeping up, which is great. And uh, it's fun to read those on the bus. It is. Uh, buses, why, why the bus? That's how I get home from work. Oh, okay. Well, that would do it. I get I get home from work by uh, spinning around 306 degrees in my office chair, and then I'm like, okay, video games. But um, suddenly you're dressed as uh, Wonder Woman. Yep. Yeah, there's a whole effect, too. Also, I have an invisible plane. Really just bad purchase. Yes. Bad purchase. I, I don't know where it is. Incredibly impractical. Trying to get the key in the hole on that thing is just, oh, Jesus Christ. Not they don't good. tell you that it never becomes a visible plane. It's always yeah. invisible. You can't turn it off. And but you have you to buy s- the invisible fuel for it, which is <laughs> hard to source. If you use the visible stuff, it, it just it corrodes. It's terrible. Uh, man. Man, did I feel like a sucker. Um, yep. Okay. 
I think Good night, everybody. Let's, let's get out of this while we still can. Yeah, talk to y'all in a in a fortnight with something else. <laughs>